Today's guest has been an active member of the London music scene uh, with performing, recording music, and also creating amazing guitar uh, educational content, which we'll talk about during the uh, chat today. I'm sure they help you develop your skills and uh, become a, a better musician. And I had the great pleasure of mixing and mastering uh, one of his, I want to call it COVID records, but I'll let him explain it to you better. And uh, so let's welcome the Axeman, Axeman himself, Ben Eaton. But f before we do that, let's uh, just watch this video that he sent through of his uh, early days um, music career in Australia. And here we go. Do, 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 do. So sending, that, <laughs> sending that through, Ben. That I mean, was, that was awesome. You did it in like, you know, I literally just messaged you like 15 minutes ago and you were like, yeah, just give me, just give me five minutes and I'll, I'll take care of it. It's just, it's amazing. It's amazing. I'm, all, I'm always ready with the elf based content, mate. <laughs> That's what I love about you, Ben. Like you, you know, you, you, we ask for something and you deliver every single time, you know, it's uh, no complaints there. No complaints. I've got to say, I'm a much better dancer than I remember. <laughs> Got moves there, well, man. Is, we I did mention that this was like in the beginning of your career as wow. a you know like it, before you get into like the music side of things. So <laughs> it makes sense. Like you maybe you've forgotten a few moves since then, but a lesson. You, the best lesson here is always diversify. Never have one income stream. That's it. That <laughs> this this stream is going to like completely change. Instead of doing a music stream, we're going to talk about like business and marketing and how to Pop, invest. Popping and locking mostly. <laughs> I can't even do. I like. I'm a. I'm a horrible dancer. I've watched like videos of me from like cr drunken Christmas days, and it's it's literally just me doing the Joey dance. I don't know if you ever watch Friends, but it's me just literally just going like this. Do you want to hear a story about my ineptitude at dancing? Oh please, yeah, please, so, please do. Back many many years ago, when I was a younger man and single before I met my lovely wife. Yeah. You know, having played in bands for probably longer than you've been alive, I would imagine. Um. <laughs> You know, I did get the odd chance to go for a dance with a lady after a gig and stuff. And, uh, yeah. you know, the, your, uh, your ability to sing and play guitar greatly exaggerates your attractiveness. <laughs> um, as you can see from this particular stream, I'm, I've got a head like a smashed crab. So uh, uh, No, no. <laughs> so this one particular lady, she was very keen. So we, uh, we went out on the dance floor and literally within a minute of me dancing, she just went, I gotta go. I'll see you later. <laughs> and walked off the dance floor. No, and like, like it, we were hitting it off like boom, sparks flying. Things were going great. So it was just your dance moves that I just sucked so bad, man. Like oh. I'm literally like I have a very very good sense of tempo. Yeah, I have a very very shit ability to uh, transfer that to anything creative. I'm just. I also, I grew up in Outback Australia where men don't dance. They don't dance. Well, I was so, going to say because I was I wanted to share a video later on of you on stage from your Instagram page where, where you, you know, you're, you've got the moves. You've got like some, you know, you, you're rocking the guitar. You're doing some like nice dance moves. So I thought it was, uh, maybe it's just me. I don't know. I found you attractive at that point and questioned <laughs> a few things, but you know. <laughs> that's, that's the ability of music, man. It can make even someone who looks like me look vaguely attractive when he's doing chicken walks oh, on stage. Can we, can we get, Steph, Steph, you, you, can be, you can be the supportive guy. They say, everybody say how attractive Ben is. Come on. No, please. <laughs> I, know, I know what I look like. I don't, I don't need any uh, compliments. <laughs> mm. Oh, man. Well, thank you. Thank you for doing this, by the way. It's, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me about, about stuff. And as I mentioned off stream, it's, it's really just, we wanted to do these kind of series of, of interviews. And I, I hate the word. It's not really an interview. It's more like a, a chat just to kind of 
acknowledge some of the people that we work with over the you know like the crazy past crazy two two years that that has been crazy and and also the people that we met through online communities and stuff like that yeah. so but yeah so one question that i really love from your podcast and the, for anybody who doesn't know ben hosts the performing musicians podcast did you start it before the pandemic or no it was a direct response to the pandemic okay it was um because i had basically i'm, I'm pr- primarily a live musician so i mm. you know the livelihood basically went away and I've, I've always loved podcasts. Like I, I primarily pretty much if I'm not listening to music, I'm, I, when I'm driving, when I'm at the gym, mm. when I'm doing, when I'm walking, I'm always listening to podcasts and I listen to music production podcasts. I listen to guitar podcasts. I listen to comedy podcasts. I listen to news. Like there's a cup, there's really great news um, nice. podcast that sort of condenses and filters stuff. So when the pandemic happened, it was just like, okay, but here's a great window. So I just started mm. it up and nice. I found it really, I found it really interesting. Actually, it's, it's mm. really amazing how much you can talk to someone that you've known. Like I talk to people that I've known for 20 years and, and found out things about them that I would never have. Cause when you're gigging and when you're working with people or when you, even when you're hanging out with people, you don't actually sit down and go, right, tell me your story. You don't often do that unless you've grown up with someone. Like it's very rare to go. So let's talk about how you progressed to this point in your life. Like that's not a that's not yeah. a normal conversation. It kind so, of well, if you spend enough time with them, then it may pop up in different moments yeah. of your collaboration. But it's exactly that you don't sit down and say like, "So when I was nine, <laughs> you <can> just start <laughs> telling your life story." Yeah, so it was really it was really fascinating. Actually, I found mm. out some really. I found out some really interesting commonalities amongst performing mm. people. Um, Anything that you could share with us, like maybe like a one or two things that you, you found interesting? I found it particularly in the pandemic. People were, even people that were sort of not, I interviewed some people that weren't sort of full-time professionals. It was always just this overarching idea of like the love for the craft. You know, even if it, it doesn't matter whether you're like a three-chord strummer or like a virtuoso shredder or, you know, anything in between. It was always the idea that music and the arts are really important. And, you know, that was, that to me was like one of the things just at the, pretty much at the end of every podcast, it was just like, you know, the pandemic is happening. It's really like, it's a, it's a, it's a cluster. Mm. We've got to get through it. And we, and music and the arts, movies, literature are there to help us get through. So that was just like every single person yeah, was just basically like, this is getting me through this, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that was really common. And also just like people's experiences with high school music were always really interesting. High school like, music. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Just the, the way people always like you sort of, you, 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 it, it, that idea of like the shedding when you're a kid, mm. like that window, I found that the people that were very, oh, how should we say? Like, really really good at what they did mm. found it reasonably young and spent a lot of time working on their craft really early yeah yeah and that was a thing that i discovered across the board with with most people those that kind of fell into it later mm. were still equally as passionate but you know not it's not you know if you're talking to like world-class musicians the ones that sort of went oh oh i found this i'm completely obsessed with this this is mm. all i'm going to do now if you get those like between 10 and, eight, yeah, and 18, it, yeah. if you can get in those years, your body's set up for it. Like your body's ready to go. It wants to learn. It wants to get like proficient. 
And the people that hit it then were the people that are always like the real, like, you know, chop kings and real shredders. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that was a couple of interesting things. Nice. Nice. That's mm. awesome. Well, I, I really enjoyed doing your podcast. And yeah, I think it was. It was nice. Like we met through George, so we're also going to have um, my cousin on um, on the podcast at some point, maybe next week. But um, we met through George, and you were looking for uh, a mix engineer to to work on your on your record. And uh, once we did that, then you asked me to do the podcast, and it was really fun because, as you said, like you find out a lot more. Like we work, we were working for a good, I think, for the good first lockdown, right? Be like yeah, we pretty much bit by bit. We were doing a little bit every month. But I mean, that was kind of the extent of our conversations for the most part. And then when we sat down and talked, it was really interesting to kind of find out more about who I was, you know, it's like, oh, I did not know this person that well. <laughs> um, but one of my favorite questions that you asked um, that I've been asking guests on this on this show, show, podcast, whatever you want to call it, um, is like, what's your earliest memory uh, of um, like either getting into music or playing guitar? So I come from a musical family. So my mother was a musician in the 60s. She was a singer um, and she performed um, all around Sydney, which is probably the best known city in Australia. Um, And she performed with like some pretty well-known bands. So when I was growing up and my mum gave all that away, she, she actually married a record producer and then got divorced from him and then married my dad, who's like completely unmusical, loves yep. music, mm. but like not, not a musical person, Does, right. doesn't come to him naturally. Anyway, so around the house, my earliest musical memories is my mum singing all the time. Like my mum oh, would right. always be singing, like singing in the kitchen, walking around. There was always melody. And for me, the musical awakening was more sitting around. I always have memories because my 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 family made meals together mm. so we'd do like like uh spring rolls and stuff so we'd all be sitting around listening to music oh and, nice and singing you know and so that was sort of it was like it was very organic like you know like that that's sort of like my earliest memory of like mm. music is something that i found really integral and then i did my my mum <laughs> my earliest thing was my mum put me in all sorts of choirs and talent competitions oh, nice. and I was like eight and nine. Cause is, like there, whole... is there footage of this? Is there, can we, can we dig up some I, footage on? I really don't know. And I don't, I really hope not. Oh, I'm going to do this after <laughs> this. <laughs> I, won't, I won't do it now, but I'll do it after the show. <laughs> well, my mum, my mum and my auntie were both um, very passionate about singing. So I was always in choirs. So from the mm-hmm. time I was, well, actually the, the boys choir that I was in, from primary school, from about grade, from about the fourth grade, mm. we had a very um, uh, full-on German headmaster oh, wow. who was very into boys' choirs. That sounds weird and sexual, but it was. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> but I get what you mean. But he was very passionate about boys' choirs. Yeah, and so he recruited all the the young boys in the in the school. Once again, it sounds yeah. a lot worse than what it actually was. <laughs> And put together this amazing church choir. And so we would go around all around Southeast Queensland and sing at all Mm -hmm. these churches. And so most of my early memories are singing, Nice, Um, not guitar at all, sort of. Mm. So we won all sorts of 
um, state competitions and stuff with that choir. And then, um, so I was in talent competitions with my mom and all that sort of stuff. And then when I went to high school, I picked up, I picked up the, um, the ukulele. Oh, nice. Yeah. I've been lying around, picked it up and just sort of taught myself how to play some chords. Got okay at it and thought, no, this is lame. I'm in, I'm in high school now. I've got to be cool. So then I picked up the keyboard, played the keyboard, and my arrogant little ass got A's for playing keyboards in music oh. lessons, and I just blagged it. And so I thought, this is too easy. I'm so not going to do this. you didn't take lessons, sorry, Tinder, but you didn't no. take lessons. You just, this is all by ear. By ear. Yeah. Nice. So the one other the one other thing i my my mum bought me a keyboard right like mm. a little like two octave keyboard but it had all these interval games on it oh, nice. so you would have to sit down and it would play first third and you'd have to pick it out on the keys you'd play like the fifth and the seventh and you'd have to pick that key out by ear wow so we were all singing in the house and I had this little keyboard. I had it for years. It was amazing. And you used to yeah, play these games that got progressively faster and faster and faster, picking out intervals. So you'd have to just sit there and learn your intervals. I didn't know what I was learning. So I had a good – I wouldn't say I, I've got not, I haven't got perfect pitch. Mm. I haven't got – but I've got good intervallic pitch. You must so, have built like good relative pitch at least with doing that stuff at that young of an age. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, so that with the singing – when I when I when I started playing keyboards, I was naturally very good at, it. and it's not because mm-hmm. I had any particular like skills or anything. It's just because I was exposed to it very young, right? Yeah, I think. And so then I said, "Well, this is this is rubbish. You know, anyone can do this. I'm, you know, whatever. I want to do something, you know, w- for a challenge." Mm. And then I heard um, the song "I Want It All" by Queen. I want it all. One of my favorite tunes, and that solo. That oh Brian, yes, yeah. Brian May plays in that song. How it how it comes in into that? You know, the the beginning of that song is fantastic. Yeah, I heard, I saw that like on like MTV or something, and it just went like, like my brain just blew apart, and so I was just like, oh, I've got to I got to play guitar again. So I I, I dragged my dad's old acoustic guitar out of the cupboard, mm-hmm. and like. The original strings. I think the guitar was about fourteen years old at the time, like an old nylon classic. Oh, nice! And uh, original strings, so they were just more rust than metal. <laughs> I know how that is. Yeah. And I just went. I'm going to play this now. And I just sat down and learned how to play. Nice. And I originally learned. Once again, I did it the same way. I learned the notes and the melodies and the intervals first, mm. and then learned like the chords probably like six months, a year after I started playing. How did, how did you go about, I mean, were you following any books? Did you have any references? I mean, is it, this is during a time I presume when YouTube did not exist, right? Like you didn't have any online resources for getting guitar stuff. We're talking late eighties here. Eight eighties. Okay. So you could, you could buy guitar magazines Mm. and you could, um, you could, get a t- private teacher but we couldn't afford any of that we were yeah. my, my dad was a teacher so we were we, we'd we were very poor we didn't mm. have any money so i could we couldn't afford a teacher so i just kind of i would just put albums on right and just learn the albums by wow. and then figure out 
what was happening much later. So once I, I, I didn't figure out how to play that solo for a while, <laughs> but I, my, another friend of mine, actually a guy by the name of Andrew Farnham, who's a, an, an incredible guitar player. He's, um, he now runs uh, LMM in Australia. I think it's LMM. Oh, okay. And he's the chief importer of Axe FX into Australia and New Zealand. Now. Oh, um, do you know what? I might've seen the name. Yeah. Very, yeah. very good guitar player. Great yeah, teacher. Yeah. Um, and he showed me some stuff to start off with because I was like, well, I don't know. I don't know what to do. I'm just learning all this stuff. I don't know if I'm holding my hands properly. So he mm. showed me some stuff. And then he sort of like, be, probably became like a mentor. Nice. And sort of pointed me in the right direction. But as far as learning, like I figured out bar chords. I figured mm. out all that stuff. I figured out the chords through just grabbing books. Oh, nice. And like going, oh, that's, that that must be a G. Like I had no idea what a major seventh was, no concept of any scales. It was just like this is the sound that I want to make. So I just, I'm a little bit obsessive. So I would just sit down for like two hours and just work I'm on. Yeah, yeah. Like um, ACDC. Um, who made who? Well, that's not coming to mind, but song and it's got this repeated riff. Digga 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 digga. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got this riff that goes through the whole song, and I I was a massive ACDC fan as well, so I figured right, once I can play that, then I will be able to play everything. So I just figured out what that was, and then I just worked on it over and over again, and then I'd buy guitar magazines, and then I'd stitch things together, and then we moved to the bush, bush proper like okay. the Outback and I had one guitar magazine and it was, it had um, Paul Gilbert. Wow. Nice. Paul Gilbert's little like 11 inch plastic. Was this during his um, Mr. Big years or before that? I think it was before Mr. Or just as Mr. Racer, Big was. What was it? Racer X? Is that the band he yeah, was Racer in? X. Racer X. I was unaware of Mr. Big at the time. Mm. This is Australia. This is pre-internet. This is pre everything yeah so um so this was in outback australia so there was really nothing um and i had that little disc and he did exercises on how to to play scales and with that and figuring out how to fill in the gaps because i learned how to play the pentatonic shapes Mm. and then i was listening to joe satriani um one of his lesser known hits and I figured out what a minor second and a minor six was. Oh, nice. Just by stumbling across it. Cause I was playing all these licks with the pentatonics and I'm like, it doesn't sound as fluid. It doesn't sound as right. flowing. So I was like, just by ear, I was just figuring out, okay, Let's if I put out. my finger, yeah, if I put my finger here, like seventh fret on the top string, if I'm playing an A minor pentatonic, that sounds like clashy, but also good. If I go yeah. into the minor third, so I, I just, and then I went, oh, that's cool. So then my obsessive self, yeah. yeah, well, it was, it was amazing. Cause I just, I have to chart things out. So I can't, yeah. if, if you show me a book, like I can, I can read chord charts and scale charts and all that stuff now. Cause I've educated yeah. myself over the years. But at the time, if you, if you show me a book, I'll go, okay, I can play all that, but I won't metabolize it. So I would sit down and just every key, every shape. Really? Wow. And then obsessively just practice them all day, every day. So, Do you know what? You bring up Paul Gilbert and um, 
it's it's a video actually I wanted to do on YouTube at some point. Uh, I'm not sure how I'm going to do it, but I think there's a whole generation, well, actually a few generations that grew up with guitarists like uh, Paul Gilbert, um, Ingway. In, in, yeah, Ingve Mamsin and other amazing guitarists like Satriani Vi and all these guys. And I, I know like me and George, who you know, my cousin, we used to stick around for like ages just practicing the same thing over and over again. Uh, so I'm just going to say hello to some people in the chat. Hi, Corny. Hi, Steph. Uh, welcome in. Welcome in. We're just chatting with Ben Eaton about um, music and guitar stuff. Uh, welcome in. If you've got any questions, by all means, leave leave them in the comment section. We'll get to them. Um, but yeah, just go, going back to that, like I think there's a whole generation that grew up with, um, you know, like those guitars and did the same ex like warm up exercises and scale runs. And you can sometimes tell when you meet guitarists by the way they play. Is like, oh, we did the same ex <laughs> warm up exercises. Oh yeah, yeah growing yeah, yeah. up. Yeah, I think. Uh... I watch a lot of. I don't know if you watch Rick Beato at all. I do. I have mixed feelings about him. I, I do. Be... I do as well. I, I think he romanticizes the past a little bit too much. But... I think he complains. That's my my <laughs> only, my only. There's a lot of complaint. I I think he does amazing content. Yes. There's a lot of great videos, but some of it is just like you know you don't need to say that. Just no, you know. no. I think he does have a point though about quantizing everything. Yeah. yeah. I think that's a very valid point. But also the idea that, for me, I know the, the reason I play like I do is because I didn't know what I was doing and I couldn't see people's hands. Mm. So I'm not saying it's better. In fact, I would probably be a much better guitarist if I had access to more resources when I was younger because given my obsessive nature, I would have consumed a lot more at a younger age, which would have given mm. me more of a broader understanding earlier which you know knowledge is power but yeah. i think it's it is a little bit harder to be a bit more unique at the, at, the, at the moment um simply because everything is so easy to grab e anything mm -hmm. i see now i can go oh i like the sound of that i'm just gonna go blah 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 blah, blah and find what exactly what that guy's playing i can see a transcription of that i can figure out exactly what he's doing job done yeah and i think there is something to be said for independently metabolizing music mm. and it, it can it can not always breed a slightly different approach to how you play for sure yeah definitely i mean also i guess it's also when you're doing um when you're even when you're taking lessons from somebody you kind of learn their way of thinking and it's not necessarily the way you as you said like you absorb information so it's good to kind of take whatever you're learning and then just like translate it like kind of what you would basically you that's what you did you kind of did charts and you learned everything the way that helped you internalize yeah. it which is yeah. awesome um steph just says that knowledge gives um no ledge <laughs> that's, from steph. that's good steph i like that <laughs> we should quote that Steph. yeah you should uh, you should have that as a quote nice fantastic but also just but also to play devil's advocate for the other side mm. there the the base level of musicianship now for guitar players is so much higher it's so, true you see some of these six-year-olds five well maybe not six-year-olds but like teenagers playing yeah. ridiculously well and you're kind of like what was i doing at that area their age 
Well, I mean, I th- you know, I think if you are going to follow the path, you are going to follow the path. If you are, mm-hmm. if you are passionate about craft, whatever that craft might be, you know, sports, music, art, you know, literature, you're going to do that. But mm-hmm. you know, the, I, and that's why I said there's there's not a fixed argument. I think at the moment, the 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 rising tide lifts all boats. So if you've got a base level where if you're playing guitar now, you have access to all the world's information all the time. Mm-hmm. So you can learn anything if you want to. And so yeah. for certain people, you know, that that is why you get these freaky guitarists on Instagram that can play these things that you're like, oh, my God, that guy's incredible. Also, you don't know how much of it is real. That that has been a, a huge debate in the last few years, hasn't it? Like people speeding up videos or people like – overdubbing stuff like performing and quantizing as you were mentioning before and uh over you know not overdubbing what's the word um when you mimic mimic is that the word when you mime, mimic the, mime. mime yeah that's the word mime um mime what you're listening to so it's incredible well i guess that that kind of leads into my next question is like what's what so you you came from a musical family and you kind of grew up in music uh, and you picked up the guitar. What at what point would you say you were like, oh, you know what, I want to do this as as a professional, or maybe I want to. I'm a bit more serious about guitar playing or education or whatever that was. Very late, mm. very late. Um, so, as I said before, I grew up in outback Australia. So in outback Australia, you don't do music. So, when, when you say outback Australia, I mean, I, I mean, I don't really understand. Maybe there's a, other people that are listening to this that don't understand. Is that like con- what we what we would call like countryside? Yeah. So where where I was where I grew up for the first sort of thirteen mm. fourteen years, well, the first five or six years of my life, I was basically a a traveller. Mm. We, we lived in a caravan and travelled around. I'm just going to oh, turn wow, my heater off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my, my parents were hippies, so we traveled we traveled around Australia in a caravan going from place to place. Um, and then I went to school. So the first sort of 13, 14 years was in the capital city of Queensland. So that's, mm. you know, it's a capital city. It's, it's a pretty big city. And then when I was 14, 15, my father was a teacher. We, we relocated to a place called Mount Isa. And now Mount Isa is a mining town, so it has a giant mine that is the central focus of the whole town. So mm-hmm. the town is basically built around this mine. It's it's about 800 miles or 700 miles from any coast in any direction. It's right in the middle of the desert. So, so it's in the desert. Oh, wow. Yeah. So if you get in a car and you drive for an hour you, and if you don't have water, you can die. Or if you, if you, you know, if you, if you go out in the bush in a four drive and you, you bust a tire, you could die. So, it's in the middle of the desert. Um, so I moved from the city to the desert. What was that um, like? I'm so, you know, that must have been a huge. Is it is it culture culture shock or? Oh, completely. So yeah. I, ironically enough, I had I had really long hair, <laughs> and so when I moved from the country for the city to the country, like I was the only person in the school that had long hair. So there was no other boys in my school that had hair past their collar. Because if you had hair past your collar, you were gay. Oh, really? That was a thing? Oh, yeah. So I would be walking down the street 
And I was quite a sporty kid, so I played lots of football. So I always wore football shorts and stuff like that. But I had this long hair. And there would be grown men would slow down and be staring at me like. So it was proper, proper ding, 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 out back. Oh, okay. Well, that's what we're talking about. I see. Yeah. So growing up in that environment, I, I, was, I, I was doing music in, mm-hmm. in school. Um, doing very well, getting A's, um, and then moved to the country and walked into the music department and just went, no, nah, I'm not doing this here. This is ridiculous. There was like two guitars for the whole school. Oh, wow. Like maybe three keyboards. The music department was like the size of a kitchen sink. Because in, in Outback Australia, and this is the, it's the Outback. So mm. in Outback Australia, men are men and women are scared, you know, like right. it's, it's how very it is. Traditional, so, I guess. Or very what, traditional. What, what used to be considered traditional? Just to be. Well, very conservative, you'd say, very anti anything that's not sports. Mm. So I, if you, you know, I used to play sports. I played football up until I was nearly 18, yeah, club football, um, played volleyball, water, mm-hmm. water polo, anything that had sports in it. Oh, wow, you nice. know. But, you know, I wanted to do music. When I moved there, you had one option, work in the mines, that's it. So you, wow. So I went to work in the mines and I, I became an electrician and I worked underground for five years. Um, well, what age is this? Is like eighteen to in yeah, your twenties? Yeah, early twenties. So I finished. Mm-hmm. You finished high school like seventeen. Um, so I went straight into the mines, got an apprenticeship, finished my apprenticeship, and then basically all that time I was playing music. So we were sort of like there was me and about you know there was other bands. Don't get me mm-hmm. wrong, but like we were playing metal and rock and like okay. You, would you say like you stood out a little bit more than? The other bands around there? Oh yeah, no, it was a very, very small pond. There was some re- actually. There was a couple of really good guitar players in town, um, and we had a pretty cool band. One of the band's name was Anal Fist. Wow. Um, okay, that's a name. <laughs> another band was called Purple Heads. Wow. <laughs> Is there a trend here? <laughs> so we, we just we were like the metal kids. We were the kids playing like heavy music. So I was in love at that time with like. Metallica and Anthrax, Megadeth, thrash metal, like early thrash metal, Exodus, all that sort of stuff, you know. Um, we're talking early 90s. And then when grunge came, I started playing all that stuff. But I never really fell in love with that stuff till later. So, yeah, I, I went to work at the mines. And I worked in the mines underground for five years. Um, and the good, the, the bad side of that was I really hated it. And it was terrible and it stopped me from doing what I really enjoyed to do the most. The good side is I got paid a shit ton of money. So I then took that money and went to live, went, moved to the, um, to the Gold Coast in Australia mm. and then basically spent a year trying to figure out what I was going to do and then started playing. You, you were playing music throughout this time while you were trying whole, to figure out? Okay. The whole time. I was never doing it professionally. Um, cause I was always into original music. So I would very mm. rarely like we play some Metallica and stuff like that, but I was always trying to get original music happening. So nice. for me, it was just about playing original music. I, I mm. you know, I played cover, cover music. Right. But when I, when I moved to the city, I just wanted to get it. And there was a really, really, this, we're talking sort of mid nineties now, mm. really strong, like uh, grunge metal alternative scene in yeah, like, yeah. Southeast of Queensland. 
Um, some great bands came out of that. Um, I'm not sure whether you would have heard of them, but like bands like Powderfinger and Regurgitator and pretty Nothing. well-known bands in Australia, but they're all from that area. So, you know, I, I got right into the uh, the, the full-on alternative, like mm-hmm. th- um, underground punk and underground sort of scenes, playing gigs all the time and reconnected with a with another guy from Mount Isa and we formed this band. It was called Zuid. Zuid. And it was like a cross between Primus Oh, nice. And, like yeah, Prime. it was like all slap bass and then like a little bit more melodic because mm. I was doing the singing. So I was, you know, reasonably strong singer, but right. less. it was less idiosyncratic. So we did a bunch of stuff. We did some tours, sort of late 90s, early 2000s. Um, so, yeah, did I answer the question? Yeah, well, I was just saying that where my question was like at which point – um did you realize that you wanted to like do this professionally and i, I guess it it builds up to that point where you moved for yeah. and during that year you were trying to figure out what you wanted to do but in australia at the time it was really hard to make a living out of music mm-hmm. um and also i didn't want to play covers right so i was i never did any covers gigs because i thought it was stupid why would you play music if you're playing other people's stuff? We're creating art here, yeah. you know. So, dived into that for a number of years. Had some pretty near misses with success. I was also doing some um, uh, studio work, session work, a hired right. gun, playing for you know. Um, I actually played with a lot of female artists, playing acoustic guitar and stuff like that. Sort of from early twenties, so. Basically, from my early 20s to sort of late 20s mm. was all in that scene. I was doing session work and, oh, nice. you know, pl- traveling to Sydney and Melbourne and for playing for different artists and stuff like that. Um, probably nobody you'd recognize over here. Sort of. I'm really bad with names anyway, to be yeah. honest. Even if you mentioned it, I might have heard stuff, but I wouldn't recognize the name. I'm like horrible in that way. Uh, you just mentioned session work, which is uh, something I try to get into when i first moved to london um and i i did some of it during college and i remember the like the uh, to this day i'll never forget my first i call it session because it was kind of in a academic environment but uh, what was your first recording experience like <clears throat> so my first proper session or the first recording experience because I, I i was i was recording with bands mm. from sort of like late teens oh, okay so you already were kind of seasoned in that sense that you've i, I, just, get... I just remember getting the the red light syndrome you know and just kind of like i mean it's not about me but in, in the sense that i remember practicing endless hours with a metronome and as soon as i walked into that studio and that red light went on i was like my time went out the window. The, the the poor engineer who's trying to be very polite and not like say that I suck. And he said like, maybe stand up. Maybe if you sit in the corner, maybe if you turn around. And he did his best to make me feel comfortable. But in, inside of me, I was just the whole time like, I suck. I suck. <laughs> what am I yeah, doing? Yeah. I mean, uh, red, light, red light fever is a real thing. And mm. it, it, takes a, it takes a while to beat that. You've got to have You've got to build up your confidence. You've got to build up your chops because the studio environment's a completely separate thing. To mm-hmm. And I, when I first started doing studio stuff, I was very much a live performer. Like, and I was playing in a bunch of bands. I was playing in like, like a Latin band. Oh, nice. um, so doing like Latin funk, and then I was playing in like a full metal band with like. Very I was playing, 
playing bass. I actually put the guitar down for a couple of years and just played slap bass in a new in a new metal band. Um, and that yeah, absolutely. So I sort of from my from my late teens into sort of my mid twenties, I'd done a a bit of everything. You know, mm. like I played acoustic guitar and like a, a Latin band. I was playing like electric guitar and like a like a like a primacy type band. Then I was playing bass in like a metal band. Oh, wow. And then I was also doing like session work for um, like a, quite a few female vocalists accompanying them. So you sort of build up your acoustic chops mm. around the accompanying of vocals, which is a complete yeah. other science again. That's so, yeah. and we, we, all that time we were doing recordings in studios all over the place. So you, 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 You'd save your money, you'd do a bunch of gigs, you go into the studio, you record an EP, you'd put it out, you know, your friend to do the artwork, you know, it was all in-house stuff. You'd go and play the festivals, you'd sell your CDs at the festival. So that was sort of like that whole 10-year period was very much doing that. So when I started to get hired to do like proper professional mm. session stuff, it was it was fine because I was kind of used to it. Yeah. Oh, that's so what great. I, yeah, it was kind of just it's just getting the getting the miles in early so that you sort of when you walk into a studio like the first few times you walk into a studio you're like holy shit this is amazing like you know mm. look at that look at all those lights you know holy crap then after you've done it a bit you sort of go oh well I, i've been in this situation before i just got to remember that i'm just playing my part and then you play your right. part and then then i sort of got hired by a one, one particular a particular producer just come in and like run the sessions so arrange the music and stuff like that and that was that was really fun, actually. I really enjoyed that, and I did that for a few years. Were you reading charts during these sessions, or was it more like you were making, you know, that you would go through the song and figure out what the form is, and then just re- hit record? Yeah. So mostly, this guy would hire me because he wasn't he, he wasn't a, a musician himself. Okay. So he would say, "Here's this album. Here's the demos. Can you chart it out and like let everybody know what's happening." Okay. Nice. So I had been educating myself all this time in how to mm. do that and like able to sit down and write like a chart for a bass player, a chart for, you know, so you'd have it, you'd have a roadmap chart so you could just give it to everyone and then they would do their, you know, do their, their jobs. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, wow. So you're doing transcriptions as well, I guess, from, from the early age in your, well, early stage in your career as well. Well, it's, it's just because I think because of that early exposure to, like music all the time, mm. you could sit down and like, even before I understood into like what it was, you could sit, sit down and work it out. So I, I did a thing when I was about, I don't know, 16 maybe where I sat down with, actually it would have been earlier than that. It doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. Mm. Yeah, the, the live after death album by Iron Maiden. Oh, I'm a, I'm a, I, I was an Iron Maiden, still am an Iron Maiden tragic. Be, yeah. I, I've got that record. I was just looking through my yeah. CD collection. <laughs> But, yeah, live after death. I think it's recorded in Tokyo, maybe, or in Japan somewhere. I don't remember. I've but anyway, it's about yeah. There's about twenty, twenty-five songs. The double, double tape. I had the double tape. Oh, tape. Okay. Tape. Yeah, and you could do. It's pure stereo, so you could mix. You could pan it to the left. It would be Adrian Smith. Pan it to the right. It's um, Murray. So right. I went through and learned every song left every song right oh, wow. nice all by ear so when it comes to like like that you know some of those songs like rhyme of the ancient mariner and like mm. you know they're 14 minute songs with like yeah, yeah. seven or eight movements in them so 
if you if you can memorize that and transcribe that, then when you come to a pop song, which is four chords, it's going to be a piece of cake. Yeah, and it's not. It's just it's just miles on the you know miles on the clock. If if you're used to figuring out, okay, this is once I understood what keys were and everything, mm. I can just go, okay, this is in G or this is in D, and then you kind of know a little bit what would probably be coming if it's a pop song. Mm. So then it was easy. It was well, you know, it, it sounds silly when you say it was easy, but it was it was oh, much I get what you mean. Yeah, you you already had that kind of um, method, I guess. Yeah, of working in order to kind of memorize the well, memorize the song and also kind of follow. Uh, follow the form of the song as well yeah oh that's uh, i mean that's that's incredible like whenever i meet because i i never had that experience of i mean i learned songs by ear but i think it was like at the point where youtube was kind of all this ultimate guitar and youtube were kind of becoming popular or yeah. like maybe had just showed up so i only had a very brief moment in the early days of where i was i would put like eric clapton on and listen to Layla, for example, and try and figure out the parts. Um, but then, yeah, obviously I got exposed. So I always find it impressive when, you know, you meet people that kind of grew up in music learning by ear because then, you know, you play anything and they just get it like this super quickly. Yeah, yeah. well, it's, it, it stood me in good stead when I first moved to London because you go to jam nights and it's like, let's play this tune. I'm like, never heard of it. Let's go. Let's go. Like, and, and you, you know, just say, what's the key? It's this key. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. <laughs> You know, yeah. well, since you mentioned London, uh, because we, we've kind of had, uh, so I think we moved maybe, if I remember from your podcast, we might have moved maybe a year apart. And um, what was that like? How, I mean, obviously, you met your wife, I presume. Was it, was it in Australia or here in the UK? No, Australia. Australia. And then you, you guys moved together to London? Well, we, so I had a very successful career in Australia. I was, I um, had a really good agent, a guy by the name of Chris Dillon. He was also on the podcast. Oh, I nice. was, I had um, released two albums, three albums. We're going to get to your album. I've got a whole bunch of notes about oh, your okay. discography. <laughs> I done, I done a whole bunch of my own original stuff, but I. Once, once I'd sort of had to, we decided we we're going to have kids. We built a house had some kids. So then I've always been creating original music, Like that's sort mm. of, that's sort of like my passion. Right. But also like once I hit like around the 30 mark, I decided to do it full time. So I stopped yeah. working as an electrician and then I, I started working full time as a musician. So I was still doing a, a ton of original stuff, but you got to pay the bills. Right, so yeah. I started teaching and mm. then I started um, doing cover work. Nice. So, I did that for near or well, about ten years. So mm. I, I I ended up run, but being the manager of a of a teaching school, which was actually really cool. Um, taught me a, a lot of really cool skills. Mm. It taught me how to transcribe properly, like you know, use the proper DSL coders and all that sort of stuff. Oh, you have yeah, to yeah. give that music out to people. Um, it's it's still being good stead now if I'm doing transcriptions and stuff. And you know. You can you know what markings to put down and yeah yeah you know you still make mistakes because if you don't use it you lose it but you know not perfect but I'm good at transcribing so I taught you know 30 40 students a week over three days and managed that studio for like seven years or something wow. nice. and then I was gigging probably four or five nights a week um and then 
you know, I had a really, really good career. Like I didn't mm. have to worry at all. Like, um, like my agent would just send me all these gigs. I'd go and do all the gigs. But the the thing that changed for me is I, I just stopped enjoying it. So, oh, okay. yeah, well, I kind of, my hometown of Brisbane, which is where mm. we, we lived, is a very interesting place. So it's a town that's very beautiful. Um, it has a really, really strong music scene um, and some of the best musicians in the world, I would say. There's a lot of talent that comes out of Australia, I think, in general, in, in music. Really talented people. It's got a really good um, uh, conservatorium there, so they, they pump out some really good musicians. It also has probably the worst crowds in the known world. Uh, you so, mean for live music? Yeah. Okay. As in, as in so... We've had 25, 26 years of conservative governments in Australia. So they've just gutted the arts. So you don't – kids just aren't exposed to the arts. We've also had – as soon as the conservatives came in in Australia, they made it uh, legal for gambling in all the pubs and clubs. So every pub and club you go into, they all run off the back of gambling. So the whole culture in Australia is sports and gambling. So um, there's amazing musicians. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a really strong underground scene, like some amazing metal bands and stuff come out of Australia. Um, but most of Australian culture is, if not actively hostile to music, it's completely ambivalent. Like they just, Australians don't care about music at all. So, really? okay. Yeah. I mean, that's a generalization, obviously, mm. but I would do gigs like four or five nights a week. And I got to the point where I was going out to do a gig and I'd just be like, I don't think I can do this. I don't think I can do it. Like I just oh, hate, no, it. I hate it so much. I hate it so much. Mm. Like the very, the commonest thing was to every Friday, every Saturday, every Sunday, there's football, every part, every bar, every club, every pub covered in screens, mm. screens everywhere you look. There's a, really paying attention to, to the music, TV screens everywhere you look. And, Every pub, every club, every nice cafe, every every arts doesn't matter. They've all got gambling. They've mm. all got like active gambling where you can bet on horses, but also um, is like this the, to to this day like the, it's still like that now? Oh yeah. Well, that that won't change. Um, so when people go out in Australia, they don't go out to see music. Like here, people go out to the pub or to the club. They go out to talk to each other and have a nice time with friends, mm. see some music, you know, play some games. In Australia, people go out to watch the football. Okay. That's that's the culture. Not, not in all of Australia. Like Melbourne's a yeah. little bit different, but where I'm from, that, you know, as I said, it's very hard not to be disparaging because I got burnt so bad by it. Mm. But it's also because I was a solo artist mostly. So I decided early on that working with other musicians in um, your original music is fantastic and inspiring. Mm. Working with other musicians on a day-to-day basis when you're making money is frustrating and not something that I was really into. So right. most of I decided pretty early on to be a solo artist primarily. Okay. So I developed a, a setup where I could play the bass mm. with my thumb and how is it similar fingers. to the way you're playing today? Like even with the the gear? Yeah. Nice. So I adopted that sort of style probably whoa, a decade ago, probably more. 
because um, there's also the ironic thing about it is in Australia there's a really really good culture of guitar so people like Joe Tommy Robinson Emmanuel. Tommy Emmanuel Phil Emmanuel guys like that ridiculous players so the the irony is there's a really strong guitar like folk and country mm. um, like subculture yeah um, so you have a lot of access to a lot of really good um, uh, gear for that sort of stuff so it's very easy to set yourself up with a really good um, setup. So that's what I did. And I, you know, nice. for the first three or four years, I enjoyed it because I was out there doing it and, you know, it was great. And I was really proud of, you know, transitioning from having a day job to, you know, being a working musician. And But yeah, then after, and... after the thousandth gig where people are just yelling at you because you're in the way of the television, it just, oh no. Well, they will always set you up below the TV. So right. the football's on. Four, you know, 40, 50 men in a circle around you watching football and screaming at you because you won't shut up while the football's on. Mm. There's only so, so long you can take that. You would think, like, why why would pubs really hire musicians then if that's the case? Uh, it's, also, it's legislated. Steph, Steph also, oh, legislate. Oh, that makes sense. Um, Steph says, I really find it different. Finding proper bandmates for original music is frustrating and playing uh, function is easier, at least in Greece. Yeah, well, that's that's the same here, Steph. Like London has got such an amazing, um, like touring, touring platform, but also, um, well, it did, um, touring platform yeah. and also function platform. So, I I was the manager of a function band here, um, and some of the players you're playing with are, you know, they're regularly going out on tour with, you know, international acts and stuff like that. Amazing setup here, but it's just. It's just that doesn't exist in Australia because it's such an isolated place. So there's a really strong function scene. It's same as everywhere because people mm -hmm. like to have bands for weddings. So yeah, yeah, that's where you so, make most of your money. I would say also though that like kind of going off what Steph was saying is playing original music and let me know if you agree with this is very different to playing function gigs. I haven't done that many function gigs. I've only done a few. Like there was especially one year where I just stayed in London for Christmas because I wanted to experience it. Um, because I, like you, I'm I, I'm kind of more into doing original music rather than playing covers. Um, but it was very mechanical, I found. Like they would tell you which songs you're going to play in what order. Uh, in you know, you would have two 45-minute slots. This is how you're going to play it. This is how, it, how it's going to go. And, um, you know, it would be the case where you just show up, hook up your gear, play the show, pack up, leave. Yeah. And yeah. It, it, there was no interaction on stage. What's like, I, I would try and turn around to the, because that's what I'm used to doing, like turn to the drum and just like groove with what's going on. He would just go like, is, every, is everything okay? Why are you looking at me? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, I'm just trying to, you know, to vibe. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I think that's true if you're, if you haven't like, cause so when I first moved over here, I kind of, I was approached by a company that I had been working for in Australia. Oh, okay. And they said, can you manage this company in this country? And I said, okay, I'll do that. And I actually went out and it spent about three or four months actually like recruiting musicians. Oh. So I had like a, st a stable, like a, a call sheet of about 20, 30 musicians. Okay. And they, we used to do regular, um, uh, performances where the clients would come in and watch the band like auditions auditions yeah, yeah. auditions for the band if you will so the the clients would come in i mean it's ve it's a very popular thing to do now 
but sort of five years ago, it wasn't as common. So mm. we would put on a night once a month where the clients would come down and check us out and I would you know, rotate the band through there. So you get to know everybody. Okay. And yeah, some of the, some of the guys that you're playing, you're playing with there is, you know, absolute monsters and really cool hangs, you know, mm. but I found for me when I was, when I was doing my original music in Australia, I was very lucky because I had two friends that were amazing musicians uh, Michael Grabby on the drums and um, Chris Gilbert on the bass. One was sort of, I'm, I'm always like looking for alternative ways to play things and be a bit edgy. Chris who plays the bass was way more punk and weird than me. Mm. And the drummer Michael was very pop. So I was somewhere in the middle. So yeah, it was very fortunate. And that's, those guys I worked with for like 10 years with the most of the original stuff under my own name. Mm. Also with another drummer called Scott Nosworthy early on. But yeah, so for me, I was very lucky in the fact that I had found these guys and we got on very well. I never really had to look for bandmates for original projects because they were kind of, they were on board, mm. which is, which I acknowledge is quite rare. And they would they would do the big festival gigs with me, but they'd also do the shitty club gigs. Mm. So you know, like we we would do, you know, some pretty big festivals, but also we would play, you know, shitty club gigs. Right, yeah, Doing a bit a, of a variety, I guess. It's, yeah, you can never really tell. Yeah, and and they were on board for that, so I was I was extremely lucky on that front. But I also always kept my solo stuff just so, like. I made sure when I was writing tunes that everything I p- could play by myself. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. So you could do if you needed to do a gig on your own, you could yep. do that. Nice. I Alex is playing with other musicians, but you know, it, it's a it's a tricky thing. You know, uh, I, I completely understand the whole concept of being able to play things on your own because you also it's sometimes hard to coordinate bandmates for gigs and sometimes, even sometimes hard. Well, yeah, I guess all the time. <laughs> Alex has just joined us. Hey, Ben. Hey, Billy. Hey, Alex. Welcome in. Welcome in. He's going to be doing some modding in the background for us. Hello. Uh, hello. We've got a question for you saying, uh, which wine are we drinking this evening, Ben? This is this is a um, this is like a crushed orange vodka, actually. That's what. Do you know what I was about to say? I know you as a vodka guy because when you were doing Twitch streams, you would have a nice glass of vodka i was like this is that's not wine but how come it's how come it is it yellowish or is that just the lighting it's it's kind of it is but it's obviously that's not straight vodka like it's diluted with a lot of soda water (laughs) you know otherwise anyway you don't know (laughs) (laughs) uh, alex says you fooled me you fooled me (laughs) yeah oh that's awesome um kind of blank where we stopped now uh talking about bandmates yeah bandmates so yeah yeah we were talking about the difference well i kind of brought up the difference between playing original music and um playing functions and it is the case where you know if you if you got good it sounds like you had a nice circle of of musicians that you could kind of get in touch with and uh yeah well so choose yeah for me like the the original scene over here i pretty much always treat because i kind of hit this London in a slightly different way. So mm. I wanted to make sure that um, everything I did, I could just turn up with my effects and my guitar. More of like a troubadour kind of approach. Mm. Um, because 
in Australia, I had like a really big base. Lots of people knew me. I could call people and call in favors. And, you know, like here when I first arrived, I didn't know anyone. Right. So yeah. I knew I knew some people because I'd been here a number of times, but I didn't really have that people I could call up. So I sort of approached it as more of like a, I'm just a solo artist and that's mm. how I'm going to approach my original work. And I've kind of stuck to that a little bit. Yes. Up until sort of COVID. Right, then, yeah. Everything's been great since. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get to that in a bit, actually. But uh, nice, man. Well, I mean, speaking of original music, I guess it, that's something that I wanted to kind of touch upon. So, like, in 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 an effort to be, you know, as prepared as possible for this interview or chat, uh, I like the word chat more than interview. Is um, you know, I, I kind of went through your well, the discography that I could find at least online because it. I don't know if there's any anything that I missed. But one thing that really stood out is that your earlier stuff to what you'd create today, there's a there's a quite a big of a I want to call it evolution because there's some elements and we will go maybe maybe we can kind of touch upon some of your some of the music that you've got out there. I kind of like maybe you can talk about where you were at that point and how you know the next one differed from the previous one, but I really appreciated the fact that, you know, the the one that the earliest one that I listened to was Sucker Punched. Is that like the first one you would say that you've got or is there more? That's, that's not me. That's not you. Is that somebody else? That's somebody else called Ben Eaton. Do you know what? Because I was listening to it. I was like, oh, you know what? I can't tell if the picture because there's a, a picture of the guy. So I'm going to share. I'm going to show people on. The, on I think the he lives in Mississippi. He weighs about, he weighs about 200 kilos. That's what what my question was going to be. It was like, what, what did you? Because I know you're into your workouts and you you're into like fitness and all that. So I was I was thinking to myself like, I mean, it's an early earlier stuff thing. Maybe it's like before he got into all of this, and this is the picture. No, <laughs> I mean the the voice doesn't sound anything like you. And I was going to ask like, is this somebody that you hired to sing on it? So no, okay, well, that, that's that's a completely different guy. His name is Ben Eaton. I think he lives in Mississippi or somewhere like that. Um, he didn't show any any information. Uh, let me he just... released. I think he released that like in two thousand and four, maybe two thousand and five. I've got it written down as two thousand and two. Yeah. Um, so he, that's not me. Okay. So that so, is not you. No. So the oh, earliest the earliest album I put down under my own name was an album called Life Gets in the Way. That's the one I've got. That's like uh, two thousand and nine, right? So that's the 2009 one. But you yeah. don't have anything before that. Well, not under my own name. So I've been okay. on other stuff, like quite a few other albums as like mm. Session and, you know, those sort of credits. Also, I was in a band called She Said. She um, Said, okay. I didn't which know. Was that. A, which was like a – that's that Latin funk band that okay. they released an EP early 2000s. I was also in a band called Stale, which was the metal band. Oh, nice. Is there stuff out there for that we can maybe link once this video goes up on YouTube that we can maybe link in the... I don't know. I don't know. We'll have to look it up. I was also in another band called Zuid. That's the one that you mentioned like in the end. So that was was late 90s. Uh, Trying to find this record to kind of show people. Life, Life Gets in the Way is not on Spotify. Life Gets in the Way is on Apple Music. Apple Music, yeah. Are you well? Maybe, maybe we can talk about Spotify. See what your thoughts are on 
<clears throat> and Spotify. <laughs> I've got some strong opinions about Spotify, <laughs> but anyway, so I'll just, I'll do, let me see if I can do a screen share really quick, uh, just to kind of show um, why I got confused. So if you see, see this, this is yeah. Ben Eaton, right? So if I click on that, <laughs> it comes up with your discography, right? Yep. So this is some, somehow found its way into your and, you know, you, you talk about long hair and he's got the beard as well. I was like, he's wearing sunglasses. So you can't really tell if it's you. I was like, yeah. maybe this was like in his early days. Maybe he was a bit heavier, got into fitness. Nope. And I listened to it and it, it's very heavy in the blues. Oh, yeah. Like, he's that album. I've listened to that whole album because I was fascinated because I didn't yeah. even, I, I knew nothing about him until I'd actually released like my second album. And I was like, people are pinging me from the America going, oh, man, you've really changed. What's going on? I'm like. <laughs> what <laughs> so yeah it's really funny and he's ri- it's like, it's really almost, changed it's almost like really it's almost like delta blues like old school blues. It's, i mean that's what i've written i put a question mark next to it because i was like this sounds very different to to what even on your website it's not on your website either i was like oh maybe this is like an old record that he doesn't want to talk about maybe like i don't know maybe there was something about it so I put a question mark in it and I m- made some notes about how this mandolin and, you know, just in case it was you, but okay. That's good to know that that's not you. So the first record you have out was uh, life gets in the way. Yeah. And that's still kind of more on the singer songwriter, singer songwriter side of things. Right. Yeah. So that, um, that album I recorded, that was uh, my mag magnum opus um, at the time because I had actually just left like yeah then he did a full 180 <laughs> <laughs> from another human into me <laughs> could have been so one that, of those you know trans- that, that yes, album life gets in the way was um that took me about three years to do three um, years ago. because those those songs i was in this other band called she said and that was like the latin band mm. and i had actually we had all made like this agreement that we would do this album and this project together so i actually resigned from my job um and set my life up so we could do this thing with this band because it was i really enjoyed the band it was very different it was female vocalist um she was great and then the band broke up immediately so i sort of was like oh and then the 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 the, the guy that I'd been working with and playing with for years, a guy by the name of Brad Wenham, he got married and just stopped working with me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was a little bit adrift. And so that album was kind of me trying to find my feet. So that album, I recorded everything myself. Um, that was I my mixed, next question. Yeah. I mixed everything myself. I mastered everything myself. Um, I did. Uh, there was there's a guy called Greg Chernes who I did the sessions with the actual recording of the the drums and the bass, um, but then I did everything myself. Is this like on on laptop or would you book studio time? No, on a on a on a MacBook. Back in two thousand and eight, two thousand eight, yeah. So that was me figuring out what I was the blueprint for what I wanted to try and do. And nice. so those songs are, I think there's eight songs maybe altogether. And it's just Thanks, a range of songs 
that was sort of what I was feeling at the time. But in hindsight, I've always meant to go back and actually like re-record and redo that album because it, the songs I I still play probably six of the songs off that album mm. live, but they're completely, completely different now. So they, the set like the because we're talking you know twenty or fifth twelve thirteen years ago now yeah that, that came out. So it's like mm-hmm. the way I approach music is completely different. The way I play is completely different. So. Yeah, that that album was sort of me trying to figure out what the hell I was doing in essence, mm. and I was. What, what would you say is it like something that stood out of that out of that like experience, like something that you said, okay, yeah, that's definitely what I'm doing in the next one as well. The the the, the idea of that was get other people involved. <laughs> okay, so the, the the sense of like musicianship, I guess, or collaboration and all that. Yeah, because I. I am someone who um, has a very clear idea of what I want to do, mm. but also I also appreciate musicians who have a real sensibility. Mm. So if someone says like, if someone I respect says, Hey man, like I think that verse is too long or I think, you know, I think that chorus is not, doesn't fit. I will go, Okay you know, like that's fair enough. And then I'll try and think about it and try and come up with a different mm. way. And that was after that first album, after that is when I've got the other guys involved. And then this, the next two albums were more um, around me writing the tunes mm. and then coming in and hashing them out with the guys. Right. And also outsourcing the the mixing, outsourcing the mastering, outsourcing all the stuff because – Trying to do it all myself, I realized all the holes in my abilities. So I can I can play guitar real good, I can sing okay, I can write decent songs, um, but I'm not a mixing engineer, I'm not a master, I'm not any of those mm. things. I can do it all, but not to the level that I feel represents right, what yeah. I do. So the next, well, every everything I've done since then, I've always outsourced to people that are better than me at their fields. Mm. That was what I learned from that album. I guess it also saves you a lot of stress, doesn't it? Like in terms of, you know, delegating a part of, of the process to somebody else. Oh, also absolutely. Kind of gives you a moment to kind of take a backseat and just observe and also kind of process what's, um, you know, what's being done to the track rather than you have to like fitting around with the snare drum for like, Five thousand hours. <laughs> then, yeah. Well, it's also I, for me. I'm very. I'm one of those guys that it's very hard for me to say it's finished. Mm, so I'm if saying, it's yeah. if it's a project on my laptop, like I've got songs that are 15, 16 years old, still there, mm-hmm. sitting there, going, "Please finish me," and I'm like, "No, <laughs> I won't finish you." Um. So for me, the idea of pretty much every aside from the one we did, but every other session that I've done since then has been studio based so i've gone in and recorded actually even including the one we did all the bass and the drums we recorded in a studio, yeah, in, yeah, studio. in one day so um everything i try and do since then is not oh i'll finish it later it's like okay set the date book the room do the work be mm. prepared and work with them what you've got right and so that's the approach I've taken to everything else, and that's I think cool. it works. You know, obviously. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think, I think George and I pretty much work the same way. 
terms of like having everything ready and then sending it out to people and then just say we're meeting up on this date let's get it done you know we've yep. got eight hours however many hours you got let's just uh crunch through it uh steph says something along the lines of oh boy you would hate as a musician always suggesting my butt out <laughs> yeah but i mean like it's also if it's if it's any a good input if i'm if you're someone that i've involved in a project it means mm-hmm. that i respect right yeah what you think so i don't work with very many people mm-hmm. and the people that i do work with i if they say to me hey man i don't think that sounds good i will say okay i need to rethink that or mm-hmm. you know like I think I think if you're not open to collaboration as someone who calls themselves a an artist, yeah, then you either you either have like some sort of savant um, idea about what you want, or you're not doing it right. Yeah, or, you know, all the great artists, even like Miles and stuff, when they were young, like they listened to other people. Mm-hmm. You know. It, it, and I mean, once you reach a certain stature, like I don't, I don't consider myself a great artist or a great musician. I, I just work really hard at trying to get better. So mm. if someone says to me, hey, man, I really like the sound of that. What are you doing? And then I'll go, okay, I need to work on that more. If someone says, yeah. oh, th- this sounds too complicated. See, for me, I'm a guitarist first. So everything is too complicated. I make mm. everything too complicated because that's what I like to listen to. I, I still, to this very day, I listen to like Meshuggah, and yeah. bands like Periphery and stuff. I grew up listening to prog metal from the seventies and eighties. I grew up listening to like um, Jethro Tull. Like mm. there, there's reasons that your brain does what you, it does. I'm still trying to get that feeling of when I was 13, 14, 15, when I was listening to Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner it's or like, like yeah. Aqualung or like Led Zeppelin two, mm. you know, and trying to get that idea that, this this sounds good to me, but I'm always going to overcomplicate things because right. <laughs> I'm a bit of a wanker. Like I like people to appreciate the fact that I can play real good. So to me, it's also, always it's something that you enjoy. Like I, from what I've seen from your Instagram uh, videos as well, and also we're going to talk a little bit about your um, educational site as well. I forget. I keep on mix, mixing up the name. Is it Splice Sound or Sound Splice? Sound Slice. Like, see, I, I'm thinking of splice and I've com- completely completely mixed it up. But um, it, but it seems that that's kind of in your playing anyway. It's like something that probably is embedded from the years of listening to these type of bands and also maybe your writing style as well. Yeah, well, I mean, for me, I like to listen to things that excite me. The things that excite me, I like to then try and replicate um, mm. in my own music. The things that it's excite me are not the things that excite most people. Okay. So what I'm always conscious of trying to do is bring people in. So I had a I had a revelation many years ago of the idea of there are musicians that play inward and there's musicians that play outward. So I'm trying always to bridge that divide between playing for me Mm. and bringing people in so for my original music like i'm very capable of playing very very complicated very very wanky stuff all Mm. the time you know the way you describe (laughs) 
it, you know, it is wanky because it's it's masturbatory. Like I'm very proud of what I can do, so I'm yeah. going to show you, <laughs> right? And you know, there there is a fine line between ego and then self-aggrandizement. Mm-hmm. So I have a healthy ego in the fact that I know what I can do, and I know that if you put me in a situation, I can I can perform. Like mm-hmm. that's, I've spent thirty something years working on my craft. I'm good at right. what I do. But what I also want to do is is not alienate people um, just because they can't understand what I want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, I'm very aware that there's people out there that are doing far more complicated, far more intricate, mm-hmm. far more intense stuff than I am. And it's no better or worse. It's just, you know, that's that's the fine line. And so for me, whenever I'm writing a song or whenever I'm thinking about something, I'm thinking about, this is what I want to say. This is what I feel. This is what I want to play. And then when it, when you get to that editing process of actually recording stuff, because I've always been basically my own producer, so mm. you, I've never involved people in producing. So I always go right. like, okay, we've got to chop that bit or that bit's going on too long or, you know, I need to, I need to shorten that or add another four bars. Like that's mm. – Yeah, so you've got me, creative control of it, I guess. Yeah. So for me, it's also – even with the stuff that we did, the instrumental stuff, it's very niche. Like it's it's very much like, you know, there's about 3% of the population, 4% of the population that might enjoy it. It's tricky with instrumental music, isn't it? Because it, it, in in most cases, and just thinking about like your your record, it, I think falls under this uh, umbrella as well. But like even like bands like um, Snarky Puppy or uh, what was that other band that did all these covers um, I think there's Swedish, the trio with the bass player with the crazy hair. Um, oh, I, I'm forgetting. The earth? No, 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 no. They, um, it'll come to me anyway. But in, in terms of what I meant to say is just like instrumental music in general is in some cases music for musicians. Yes. Because that's like a guitarist will appreciate Joe Satriani, Steve Vai, Ingve Mumstein, Eric Johnson, you know, because they, that's what they, you know, enjoy listening to. Whereas it's difficult to bring somebody who's not part of that guitar circle or whatever circle that is and say, you know, like, this is a great piece of music you need to appreciate or like you need to find a way to understand it. Um, so I can definitely understand that. Like, it's it's tricky to do. But uh, I, think, I think especially for instrumental music, like I, I realized when I was recording it, when I was writing it, when I'm tracking it, no one's going to listen to it. Like mm. that's just what it is. Like it, it, I'm not, I mean, no, I don't mean no one, but I mean, from a demographic point of view, I'm not trying to appeal to a 40 year old housewife. You know, they're not going to listen to what I'm doing there. So, mm. I, but what I am trying to do is to appeal to, someone like me because yeah. I can only write from my perspective. So I mm. think about a song, I write a song, I think, man, that gets my dick hard. Like I really like this. Like this, this makes me, yeah. <laughs> so I want to share that with people, but I also want to put it in a package where someone might actually listen to it for more than, you know, the 12 seconds off the YouTube algorithm. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So if it, if it means that I don't sit down and just play sweet tapping arpeggios for mm. four minutes, then that to me is also some as someone who grew up listening to all those classic albums, but also someone who was a 
absolute Satch tragic, absolute Vi tragic, mm. absolute instrumental, like, you know, Richie Kotzen, all those guys from like the late 80s, early 90s. Like I I had all of those albums. Like Rabina from Joe Satriani was like a watershed for me. It blew my mind. Like I was like, oh. So those the Satriani phase. Yeah. I mean, and it, it was a phase that, I mean, you know, I love Satch. Mm-hmm. I don't listen to his music anymore, really. Occasionally I'll, I'll whack something on, but like he's a songwriter. Yeah, yeah. Vi yeah. is a song. Yeah, his songs song like a song. Yeah, like a you can imagine somebody adding lyrics to to his melodies. They're uh, songwriters, so that's always what I'm going for. I'm trying to absolutely. walk that fine line. Actually, songwriting is something that I want to chat to you about as well. Just going through um, your, you know, your discography. Uh, but before we do that, uh, just going to acknowledge some of the uh, messages we've got. There needs to be a wanker. <laughs> <laughs> I, I read that and I was like laughing as well. Wow, wow, wow. uh, Don Deluce, I presume that's how you pronounce it, gaming. This is a chatting podcast. Indeed it is. I may have put the category incorrect on Twitch. It may be under just chat, just chatting rather than uh, the podcast i think i did that by accident but uh, then you realize that it was a podcast yes we we are we we are chatting about music and um about ben's uh, music in specific uh, specifically um i was going to say that i bought a piano and asked for tips um do you have any tips for piano ben <laughs> no. nope if you picked up a guitar, Ben would have tons and tons of stuff that you can check out online as well, which we're going to talk about in a bit. But um, just going back to the songwriting side of things, um, like some of the records that I've listened to, I mean, there's there's one song that when you were doing Twitch and, uh, you know, when I was checking out your music before we started working together, that really stood out to me. And that was like War and um, yeah. War. And then there was another one that I was checking out. I've made a note of it. Sorry, I'm really bad with titles. It is. Um, where's my songwriting notes? I'll find it. Uh, but basically, what I want to ask you is like, how? What's your? Do you have a process when it comes to writing lyrics? Um, like, is it is it something that comes naturally to you, or like you mentioned before, you did like it took you three years to finish, for example, your first record? Um, can you speak so, a little bit on that? So it's always guitar first. Okay. So. Whenever I'm writing a tune, I'll be sitting around practicing or playing or warming up or something, and I'll I'll come across a sequence or a riff or a a vibe um, on the guitar, mm. and then I will say, "Ooh, I like that," and then I'll usually grab my phone or I'll just open Logic and just record it straight away, mm. um, and then then it go it goes into a vast bucket. And an endless list <laughs> an endless list of files so i've got re- like you know endless numbers of um, hard drives mm. with tracks on it so what usually happens is i'll i've kind of changed my focus a little bit the last couple of years simply because i'm more focusing on instrumental music at the moment for my original output previously with my um vocal driven output it would always be a chord sequence or a riff. And I would say, oh my God, that makes me feel this way. So mm-hmm. there's two things I write about. Assholes and women. That's it. To the point. <laughs> yep. Um, 
no, that's not true. But that, <laughs> most of most of what makes me write music or makes me express myself lyrically are things that I see in the world that excite me in some way. Mm-hmm. So that could be um, I'm not I'm not um, someone who writes esoterically. So mm-hmm. if you a lot of songwriters focus on the craft of the lyric and the craft of the form. I'm very much about this is an idea that I have. This is something that excites me. Here's what I want to say about it. And if I can craft something around that, that's what I'm going to do. So mm. most of my songs are either about people that I've loved, nice. people that I've hated, or people or conditions in the world that I find um, abhorrent. So a lot of the songs are about politics. A lot of my songs are about um, the state of the world. And then a lot mm. of the songs are about my family and personal experiences. And so what I do is I, I, I get the, the chord sequence and then I'll just sit down and, 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 and work on a song and work on a song and work on a song. And sometimes it happens like that. Yeah. Like, for instance, that song, um, War, was, was a song that I wrote about basically a televangelist. Mm. So oh. that song is, yeah, that song is um, the riff I came up with. The dun, dun, I came up with that as a tapping lick on the guitar. Oh, I think I, you did that. You actually demonstrated that on on uh, one of your streams. Nice. Yeah. So it, it was a tapping lick on the guitar, but I felt like for a song, it's a bit wanky for a vocal driven song. So I showed it to the to Chris, the bass player, and he, he he did this slap thing with it, and I was like, "Man, that sounds amazing!" So we kept it as that. Um, and basically, the idea of that song was, uh, "I'm an atheist, hmm. I, I, uh, but I also." whatever religion you have is cool with me whatever gets you through right, the night yeah. i don't care it's the charlatans and the grifters that make me angry mm. and that song is basically the hypocrisy of televangelists and people that will 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 lie for money using right. religion and then the hypocrisy of also the amount of times you see a republican or a conservative person that has sex with little boys mm. is you know so yeah, that song particularly is an angry song because it's about. It really, it really, you can really get that sense from from the drive of the of the uh, the entire song, and I think the I, what, another thing that really what I really like, and I kind of kind of understand what you're talking about about when you talk about the song is that the lyrics are very straightforward as well. Like there's no hidden message around the way you're expressing your thoughts, which I, I thought I, I can appreciate because I always struggle with that. I always think like when I'm writing a song, I need to find a more creative way of saying, you know, whatever it is I want to say and maybe put a double meaning to it. And I always, you know, I, it's only during the pandemic where I've been trying to write songs in this, in this style where you, you kind of say something in the simplest way and to the point. Yeah. And it's so difficult. I, I find it very difficult. Well, to me, like uh, I find as I get older, I try to be more and more honest. Mm. And for me, if I'm saying things that are like not directly telling you what I think, then I think that it's, and, and probably to my detriment, like yeah. it's very hard for me to lie about what I'm thinking. And it's very hard for me, especially if I'm performing music, and, Right. you know, when I go and perform original shows, most of the original shows I do now are me with an acoustic guitar mm. in a room doing a, basically a troubadour set. So you're you're telling stories, you're thinking about things. And a lot of my songs are about experiences or situations. And I 
I think if you deliver honestly to people and you're decent, mm. you know, you can pull a few tricks out of your hat, then people will go, oh, oh, I like that, you know. Um, yeah, yeah, they can connect with it a little bit. A little yeah. Bit more. And I mean, I don't think it's, you know, my, I'm also, you know, I could write in metaphors, I could write in mm. similes, I could write in, you know, uh, I am a pentameter or something. Yeah, you know, yeah. But I, it <laughs> wouldn't be true. Yeah, it wouldn't be true to what I think, and it wouldn't be right. true. I'm, I'm, you know, so for me, I think uh, if you're if you're trying to produce art, you should try and do something that's honest. Mm. And I'm like I'm never thought, yeah. I'm never going to be famous. I'm never going to be rich. I'm just creating things that I feel either need to be said or I I feel if I'm not creating original music, mm. I'm a terrible person. Like is that terrible. how you feel? Like when you when you when you don't work on original music for a while? If I if I'm not constantly working on something, I'm just the worst guy. <laughs> I'm a terrible person. I'm very impatient. I'm very mm. short tempered because I I you always like you need that output. Do you, yeah. is that something that you you need? Right? Yeah. It's something that I've music when I was when I was growing up as a troubled teen in the outback in Australia. I would come home every day, and if I had a great day, I'd play guitar. If I had a bad day, I'd play guitar. If I got into a fight, I'd play guitar. If some girl thought I was good looking for some, whatever reason, I'd play guitar. Because, And everything that I did, one of the reasons I think I got out of my teen years without – because I lost quite a few friends to suicide and, and drug yeah. addiction and things like that. I think part of it is because I had a way of expressing myself. Mm. And I, yeah, feel, I think that's very important, yeah. Well, I feel like, you know, I'm in my 40s, so I, I, I want to my, – my philosophy is always get better or you're going backwards. Ooh, that's a nice that's a nice phrase. We should quote that. Alex, write that down so we can have that under Ben's uh, video. Put like it's, Ben it, Eaton. But it's, it's not a great philosophy in the fact that sometimes I beat myself up if I'm not demonstrably better than I was a month ago. So for mm. me, it, it's a hard taskmaster. So when you think about that as a, as a as a philosophy, it, if you're not getting better, it can be very distressing to you mentally. Yeah, yeah. For, so, of but course. that's but it's also like I, I'm an obsessive person. So if I'm not if I don't do the the things that I do on my instrument every day, mm -hmm. and if I'm not getting if I don't feel myself moving always and getting better, then I beat myself up really badly. So really? yeah, of course. It, it, you know, like I, the one constant in my life has always been guitar. Mm. You know, even through the pandemic and even through all the, you know, the strife and moving to another country and, you know, relationships, every, you know, it was always the guitar. Mm. So if, if I, if I pick my guitar up and I half ass it, I'm just like, oh, what are you doing, man? Just, you know, stop. So I, I try never to half ass it. And, you know, that's good though. Maybe maybe it helps you kind of work harder as well at the same time because you know that you're gonna if you've got that uh, self awareness to to yourself, then you you know that when you're gonna sit down to work on something, you want to put your entire yeah. self into it. Yeah, that's awesome. You've got, you've got to. Well, I I do anyway. Otherwise, I'm an asshole. <laughs> that's that's an interesting. Maybe that's something that I, I I'll give it a try. Maybe maybe not as brutally honest <laughs> with that way, but um. I mean, I guess I mean I want to talk about about your other records as well a little bit more, but you kind of brought up the topic about um, not that we have to go like heavily deep into it, but like kind of the idea that music helps you with your um, 
your mental health and you just kind of surviving. And I guess one, one thing that we discussed on your podcast, uh, again, for anybody who, uh, doesn't know, Ben has his own podcast called the, uh, performing musicians po- podcast. And we'll put a link up in the description down below if you're watching this later. And, uh, I forgot to send the link to you, Alex, but I uh, will find it at the end and put it up. But, um, we were discussing how obviously we were talking just after maybe was it during lock the second lockdown second lockdown yeah and we were just discussing how it affected us and how we kind of dealt with the whole situation how we got through it so mm-hmm. would you say like in this case the guitar was kind of a good way for you to kind of get through all of this craziness well we like for me because i have always prided myself on being able to provide because i have two children um uh, I've always really prided myself on providing for my family with what I, you know, with, it sounds pretentious, but with, with art and with music. Yeah. So I can understand that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I grew up in a, you know, a working class family, you know, very, very poor. Um, not, you know, not for, you know, any particular reason. Mm. My, my, you know, my parents are very comfortable now, but, you know, back in, back when I was growing up, you know, my dad went back and retrained very similar to myself. He retrained to become a teacher. And through that period was like my formative year. So we, you know, like I, I, my, my family gets tired of me saying, Oh my God, you know, when I was a boy, blah, 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 blah. Um, so um, what was my point? Oh, for, for me, the, the, the idea of going out and making a living playing music is still something that is, you know, it's a little bit fantastical. Mm-hmm. The fact that you can spend time with your kids, have a have a work life balance, and then go out and actually like do things with other people that is, you know, communal. It's a sense of bonding, mm-hmm. bringing you know things together. You know, the sing alongs at the end of the night. You know, I've sort of I've shared a lot of my pretensions over the years as far as like. I'm quite happy to play Wonderwall at the end of the night if everyone's going to sing along. You know, I'm not going to play Wonderwall if I'm playing in a cafe. I'm going to play some weird jazz thing, you know, because right, I'm yeah. expressing myself. But if everyone's on board, it's a big night. I'm playing Wonderwall. I don't give a shit, you know. But so when the pandemic happened, it was actually quite confronting to me because I had spent the better part of 16, 15 years like working in with my hands and everything to create like a life and then it was all gone so it was actually very confronting with me and just to be old-fashioned as as a man was very confronting Mm. because i couldn't provide for my family as a as someone who is always been proud of themselves of being like very i'm a progressive guy like i'm very open Mm. like I don't care race, color, creed, like I'm, I'm to the left of left. <laughs> like, you know, I love everybody. I don't care where, what you do with your bits or, you know, whatever. So for me to be confronted with that, where it was all gone, it was actually very, very hard. Like, and I, I wouldn't say I was depressed, but I was, I'm not someone who gets depressed. I'm mm-hmm. someone who gets down. Yeah. And it, for me, when that happened, it's very confronting because it then made me think about the value of what I do and what I place my value on. Ooh, and nice. I said to my wife at the time, nobody will give a shit if I stop doing what I'm doing right now. Like literally not a single person in the world will care if I stop making music. It's not, you know, I'm not a big artist. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter. Like my work 
intrinsically has no value to anyone except for me. And I had to come to the realization in that time that that's okay. And I placed a different value on what I was doing then. So, you know, like for there's no use to me Mm. as a musician. Like there's no, I don't have any use when I was an electrician. I had use like, do you still feel like that? Like you no, don't have any use, but it also, but it also doesn't matter. Like mm. it literally doesn't matter at all. It's, it's the value you place on things is the value that you place on things. Mm. So for me getting better, the only reason I practice every single day and try and improve every single day is for me. Mm. Like that's for me and everything else it's just it's just capitalism you know like the the meaning of my life first of all is to be a good dad like that's the primary driver that that's mm. you know it's very simplistic but it's fucking hard yeah and it's important an important one as well well if you bring humans into the world you should be responsible yeah that's you know whatever i don't you know i have no i have no judgment on anybody else but i i I take pride in that. I say, to, if people say, what are you about? I'm a dad and a musician, like dad first, musician second. Mm. That's, you know. And the second thing is what I said before, you get better or you're going backwards. And the only person that imposes those rules on me is me. Yourself, yeah. Yeah, and that is a, a structure that I sort of had to come to terms with through the pandemic. And part of that was thinking about where the value was and realizing that it's not just about money because I grew up in a poor household. So money mm. has always been super important. I always save, I always have money put aside, but then through the pandemic, I thought, you know what, like this album, this instrumental album that I've been trying to work on for 10 years, mm. I'm just going to do it and it's going to cost me money and it's going to make no money and fuck it. I'm going to do it. Yeah. And but it was something that you wanted, like, as you said before, it's like something that you internally, did you, is it something that you reckon you felt that you had to do or it was it mostly just the fact that it was, you know, it was something that you just wanted to do and that's where it kind of stops in terms of the emotion, emotional connection to it? No, no, it was incredibly important to me. I actually did some um, work with a coach because mm. I'm, Oh, I don't know how honest to get with them. I'm someone yeah, who's. I mean, yeah, obviously, don't go go as far as you want, um, but you know, like, yeah, I'm someone that is very, um, very focused on being the best at whatever I'm doing. Like, mm. so if I'm if I'm at the gym, I'm lifting the heaviest weights. If I'm playing guitar, I'm playing the fastest. If I'm playing, you know, if I'm singing. I'm singing the highest, you know, like I'm, I'm always working on skills. Mm. So for me, the realization I had was that when I record this album, it's, it's going to fail. So it's going to fail. You kind of like pre yep. no, so but not ready for, for that, but, but not like that, like in a purely commercial sense, no mm. one's going to buy this album. No one's going to, you know, it's not going to change anyone's life. But I need to do this because it's important to me. Mm. And I need to make it the best I possibly can because I feel this is important. Why do I feel this is important? Because I have always 
been someone that um, compromises. So mm. all of my music, all of my vocal music, while I love that stuff and I'm very passionate about writing cool songs and I'm super proud of all the albums I've brought out, fundamentally, what is me? Me is a guitar player. Like that is mm. what I love. I don't work on singing. I don't practice singing. I never have. It's something that I'm lucky enough to be able to do. I can do it okay. I'm not great, but I'm pretty good. Um, I, I like your stuff. I, I really appreciate You know, I could, listening through your music, I was like, oh, yeah, you know, Ben can sing. It's not, it's not like I'm, I was thinking like, oh, he's a guitarist who sings. It was like, oh, yeah, I can, I can see him being a singer. Yeah, I can, I can sing. I can carry a tune. <laughs> but That's what you need really in life, don't you? Like as long as... But for me, I'm, I've been a guitar player for, you know, and for me, it's where I place my value. So mm. my value is in working on something that I can't do and then being able to do it after like two years, five years, 10 years. Mm. I've, I've had four or five times in my guitar playing where I've gone, I'm now going to change the way I do things. And it might take me a decade, but I get there because that's important to me. It's not important mm. to you. It's not important to my wife or my kids, but it's important to me. No one else gives a shit about it. Like no one. And I'm mm. cool with that. Like I'm completely fine. But the, if I've decided that that's what I'm going to do, I'm going to do it. And it might take like literally the hybrid picking techniques I've developed have taken me probably seven or eight years to develop. Mm. And, you know, that's, that's fine. But the process must be fun though at the, at the same time. Like, I mean, Thinking back to, I don't know if you have a similar experience, but I remember, I keep on telling this story to everybody, but I remember the day that somebody taught me sweet, sweet picking in high school. And I was like, what on earth is this sound? Like, they, they were, I could not comprehend, like they were slowing it down for me and I could still not comprehend what was going on. And for anybody yeah. who's not a guitarist, sweet picking is this technique where you you outline a chord note by note uh, in it literally like a sweet picking pattern with your with your pick but it, it requires a lot of coordination between both hands and as a young kid obviously like as a teenager i could not comprehend that i remember spending i probably spent like a whole year just trying to get they did the you know the woody wood woody woodpecker theme yeah. Yeah. so that was what i was trying that was kind of my practice uh, exercise to awesome. get that moving technique I remember working on ages and the day I got it, there was this, you know, euphoria, you know, like, I don't know if you're a Harry Potter fan, but I, I like to relate emotions sometimes to the fact when he grabbed the, the one for the first time and it, it was like this oh, moment, it was exactly the same thing. I don't know. Did you have like something similar that, uh, yeah, look, man, like I've had a few few times in my life when I first started playing guitar, I was all about legato. Like that's all I played was legato, legato, legato. And I went and I heard a bunch of guitar players and they were very intense, like Steve Morse, um, Petrucci, guys yeah. like that, very intense pickers. And I went, right, I like that sound. That sound is is making me excited. I'm, I'm going to master that. And it mm. took me, well, I'm still mastering it, but I can play really fast intricate right hand lines now yeah yeah um because i decided to do it and the process itself is a series of plateaus right you you, you work on something and you get better really fast at it and then you plateau mm. and then you work and, and you, you you change something and you go and so all guitar playing is that series of levels 
And sometimes when you don't touch something for a while, it drops down and then it's yeah, back it up again. So if I sit down and I'm having a great day and things are flowing and I'm working on a particular technique and there's no better feeling. Like mm. when you – and what I'm always – what I'm always trying to find is that flow state. So the flow state of not thinking, not even, not even being conscious about what you're doing, but just have things come from you. And mm-hmm. that every time, every time I play live, every single gig I do, I don't prepare the solos. I always improvise. Doesn't really? matter what, doesn't nice. matter what it is, except for like three or four songs. But like, if I'm playing in a bar, or a club. A festival doesn't matter. Bigger stage doesn't matter. It's mm. always improvised because I'm always looking for that thing where you go like, oh, "Where did that come from?" Oh, like nice. It's almost like someone's just reached in and gone. There you go. Have that. And what go, about what about when you're doing? Um, what about like? I mean, obviously not your instrumental instrumental music because I know that like most of it is composed, but. Like if you're gonna throw a solo into a a song, for example, if somebody asks you to lay down, so will you do kind of improvisation stuff, or do you put some time beforehand to kind of prepare? Yeah, it depends maybe? what it is. If someone says, "Can you play solo on something?" Mm. I'll make sure it's written. Okay. Because I want to give them, you know, something that is valuable. Mm. Um, but most of it comes from noodling. So I, I sit down and like today, for instance. I sit down and I just do my scale drills and my arpeggio drills and my interval drills. I have like right hand techniques where I'm doing hybrid intervals and stuff and that warms my hands up Mm. and then I'll just be, you know, watching some YouTube videos or something and just running through stuff. And then I'll find something or hear something and go, ah, that's great. Right. I'm going to do that now. I'm going to work on that. That's done. And then I'll move on to something else. And then what I was doing today was I was working on a four bar phrase Mm. for about an hour. Is that the video that you posted? Oh, I think so. No, that was another one. But that, yeah, I think the the video was a little practice rate regime, like a a little That's practice. Rate. So we can uh, maybe just so people understand what we what we're referring to. So, oh, yeah. uh, Alex, if you can throw up, uh, if you're still there, could you throw up um, Ben's Instagram link for anybody who wants to check him out? But is this this is the latest one, right? The one. Yeah, today I did that one today. Yeah. So let's see. Hopefully, the sound comes through. <laughs> Let's just put it from the beginning. Nice. That's awesome. So is that is that an idea that popped up um, during a practice routine? Yeah. So that, like I do different, I don't know about you, but when I'm, when I'm, warming up like i'll have a series of anymore <laughs> i've been a bad boy i'm not been practicing as george keeps on telling me off about not practicing but anyway that's a whole different story so actually what i have been doing in the last sort of since the pandemic well since around the pandemic is playing to a metronome mm. so i never used to play to a metronome i used to just jam and play to songs okay now i sit down every day and it's sort of a recent probably the last three two three years put a metronome on, I put it at like 120 mm. and do like very, very slow scales, double and I double pick everything to start off with. So I'm locking my right oh, wow. and left. Okay. So that that for me is a really good like locking point. It gets my right and left hand 
Come what on, an idea. idea actually. Yeah, double picking. So mm. you like you would play, for example, a simple like C major scale, for example, but you'd play each note twice to get that up and yep. down technique. Oh wow. Yep. And so what I do then is I usually run through like three note per string patterns every every position for like a bunch of different keys. So mm. like E all seven positions and then you know do C and then G, you know, B, right. whatever. And then I'll practice because I'm I'm having a like a three or four year crush on the melodic minor at the moment. So I'll sit down and I'll practice just the melodic minor scales everywhere across the neck. And also like the half whole major uh, minor, diminished scales. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just working on that, just, just, and that's my drill. And nice. so then when I, when I stumble over a sequence and then I've got another, so different cause so different days I work on different things like, certain i'll work on hybrid picking but i'll also work on like um legato practice and stuff like that i'll stumble across the sequence and go oh i like that mm -hmm. and then i'll work on that sequence and then i'll get that sequence right and then what i then try and do is when i go out and play for instance i went and played a really shitty gig on sunday in a in a in a bar just it was a sunday afternoon no one was mm -hmm. interested in me it was fine it was just you know it's christmas time yeah it's just you know it's just a, a diary filler so I was just trying to incorporate those licks into nice. different solo passages. So I was playing over like uh, a Cindy Lauper song and incorporating those wide intervallic um, hybrid picking attacks in that solo, just because it's a good you know, test, isn't it? Like, yeah, forcing yourself to to include stuff that you've been practicing, I guess, for like hours on it, and try and make it musical. Yeah, true. Because you can practice licks all day. And no one's going to want to listen to you playing guitar because it sounds like you're practicing licks, so, <laughs> like some know. some of the '80s uh, rock rock stuff. Yeah, so I I try and put that into songs then that I'm working on to to make it musical because at, mm. at the end of the day you're trying to make it musical. So that's you know that's kind of the process yeah. on that practice process. Awesome. Yeah. awesome. Uh, just we have some requests, uh, Ben. Play Wonderwall. <laughs> <laughs> Just going through the chat really quick, seeing what's uh, oh, genius. Uh, I think Steph says, "Be crown." We used to we used to call them bloop or bubulithis, which means bubbles. Oh, the sweet picking technique was uh, oh, yeah. Greeks described as bubbles because they, I guess, is that what you mean, Steph? Hopefully, I got that right. Alex also says that he could he can only play legato on the. On, is that on the guitar, Alex? Uh, and then important reminder plateaus or steps are not zeros nor are they the ground floor Deep. that's exactly right that's exactly right and Fair it's enough. plateaus are really hard when you're in them it, it is it's tough to um have you read uh do you, do you like seth godin have you heard of him no so seth godin i, I might butcher this fact but if i remember correctly he he's done a lot of marketing and uh, business and all that. He's kind of in that field. And he's got this book called The Dip. I don't know. I think I've got it in the UK, not here in Greece. But uh, it's a great book, which basically talks about that. And it talks about, you know, no, knowing when to quit stuff. Uh, and in the sense of that, you should never quit when you're like in the slumps. You should yep. always quit in a mindset where you're, you know, at a, at a stable position in you whatever it is you're doing and it's a very it's a very short book but very to the point and very interesting with that kind of concept of um you know when you're in a plateau coming out of it and understanding the whole psychology behind that yeah it's called the dip is it 
the dip. I'll send you. I'll yeah. I'll include links and yeah. I'll send you some stuff as well. Uh, well. I also with with practice. I also had a thing where I actually pretty much severed my thumb. Oh, I think I remember you talking about this. Yeah. So when I was in my early twenties, I had a really bad accident and severed the whole base of my thumb, and I basically lost the use of my thumb, which as a guitar player is pretty important. Yeah. So, so it took me. For that? Hey. What have you done for that now? Is it is it okay? Is it? No, it's never okay. Like if you look at my thumb there, see how it's slimmer and sort of bent mm. a bit funny. And also, there's a the the pad of skin on the inside of my thumb is permanently dead. Oh, okay. So you for make me, it bionic. I, sorry. Make it bionic. Just get them to include <laughs> some. Yeah, there's like super fast. <laughs> well, so that was another turning point. So mm. I actually went back and had to relearn how to play properly. That's and kind of a Pat Martino. Uh, yeah, yeah, kind of. Yeah, he he. What did he have? Like, got in an accident and he kind of forgot everything. He it was a head injury or something, wasn't it? I can't remember. Yeah, I think so. But it was a similar thing. Like, I basically the doctor said you might never work again, let alone play guitar. Mm. So I was like, okay, so I'm just gonna work really hard on it. And I I sort of had to reassess the way I use my hand, and that was really healthy at the time. And I actually probably about. And then about probably four or five years ago, I changed the way I hold my pick. Mm. So I went from holding it like that to holding it like that. Oh, so you t- changed the whole technique altogether? My complete right-hand technique had to change because I wanted to do more of this. Oh, you to get that when, when your fingers are like that. So I would, mm. I've, in the last five years, I've changed my complete technique because... It's, I had an idea about what I wanted to do and to achieve it, I had to actually like look at my hands and go, that's not, that's not going to be practical. So you have to actually Mm. change. That was full on, man. Like it's still, it's still occasionally if if I'm playing acoustic guitar, because it's your attack is different on the acoustic. Sometimes I go back to the old way, Yeah. but yeah, I do a lot of economy picking as well. So I do a lot of. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, I've seen. I watched um, on your educational website. You've got some nice exercise about for economy picking, yeah, um, which can we can show later on as well. That's awesome, man! It, it, I the only time I've changed something is in college, where I went from standard tuning to fourth tuning. That's the that's the most extreme thing I've done. <laughs> that's pretty extreme, man. It was. I mean, I was like. We're talking about plateaus, I was like going through a phase where I was talking to my teachers about, I don't feel like I'm improving and I don't think I've got a good ear. I had like one teacher that said like, he didn't really say that I was tone deaf, but he would just say, you know, he, he would do these kind of intervallic stuff that you were talking about at the beginning of the stream. And it was just, uh, I could not recognize them. I couldn't hear chords that for, I, for some reason I felt very overwhelmed. So I went through that phase of like, okay, well, I need to kind of start learning everything from the beginning. What's the best way to do it? Change the tuning of the guitar. I just wow. literally learned everything. Yeah. From the, wow. From the, yeah. But that's, yeah, that's the, yeah, that's the extent of the fourth tunings. I mean, that's, you know, I watch a lot of Tom Quayle stuff and it's, yeah, he's a beast. I call it cheating tuning because it is it is a little bit che- cheating because you everything just becomes symmetrical you know every you yeah. learn one shape for your triads and that's kind of um I I mean that's the reason why I did it because it saved me a lot of time to to learn all the material that they were giving to us because it was I felt it was impossible it was taking me longer to learn stuff with all these different shapes so I thought well yeah. if I play force tuning at least I can get around it and. Uh, 
No, what I mean, I, I, I see the, I see the, um, if you are someone who is a uh, session guitarist or someone who is like Tom Quayle or someone mm. who plays just that style, I see the utility of it. If you're someone yeah. who plays, I'm always someone who's played a very, very broad range of styles. Mm. I I have n- never found that tuning to be good for chordal work. It's because it, I play a lot of acoustic guitar as well. Yeah, and to get it those changes, overtones on the acoustic, it changes what you can play open string. Like in in uh, in standard tuning, you can play like a nice open E major, E minor. Those D major is very well. D major you can do on on the fourth tuning as well, but it really like. I really like some of the voicings of G major. You can do a nice open B flat C, you know, there's different, it, some things that you can do in, in standard tune, they just shift in diff, into different keys of what yeah, you can right. play just because of the way it's tuned up. Yeah. Um, but I mean, yeah, it, you, you're right. It's not a very singer songwriter friendly tuning, but we make ourselves suffer and <laughs> still do it. <laughs> Whatever happens, happens. Yeah, Sim good. says, um, my guitar teacher was just more than the help of the appointments, not there because there was always something. I think I think Fim is trying to say that your guitar teacher was literally just wasn't there to help you during the lessons, I presume. Yeah. Um finding if finding a good guitar teacher is Mm. You know, I I didn't take any lessons myself when I was growing up, but I really enjoyed teaching people. Mm. So when I was teaching, as I said, I, I ran a studio for a number of years and I really enjoyed bringing a young kid come in that didn't want to be there, that just my mum was there because it was like, mum says I've got to learn this, I'm going to learn this, I don't like it. And then by, a, you know, a, a few months in, suddenly they start practicing and stuff like right, that. Yeah. And then being able to help like younger players or even people that are older, you know, whatever, just like sometimes you just need someone to go, Hey man, like just change the angle of your hand just a tiny bit and use your thumb a different way. And people just go a whole new world. (laughs) And it's so, it's so gratifying. And so like now I I stopped teaching professionally a while back Mm. because it was, it was too much work. In essence, a lot of prep work. So yeah, a lot of. Well, I, I was just worked, all I did was teach and play. I mm-hmm. had to have some sort of life balance, and I wanted to. I'm a performer, so so I'm yeah. someone who enjoys. Like I can sing, so I like singing, and it's it's much easier to make your money singing and playing than it is to teach. I think. Do you reckon? I feel yeah. it's the opposite. Like my yeah. my experience so far, I mean, has been the the opposite, but. That would be interesting maybe to have another discussion about, <laughs> like kind of go into the, the business well, for me, side. For me, like I've always looked at it as when you go and play, you put your show face on, like you just go in, you present mm-hmm. a, you know, unless you're just sitting in the corner on a jazz gig or something or you just, you know, but when I go and play, like I'm there to, you know, play and have fun, yeah, yeah. you know, sing, sing loudly and stuff like that. So I, I taught for a lot of years, like, and I still teach. Mm-hmm like private lessons and stuff like that for people that want to work on specific things. But yeah, I really, I really enjoyed teaching, mm. but I found the grind of teaching after a while got to me more than performing. So okay, I love, I love like sharing knowledge mm. and, and those people that really want to learn, 
they're always the highlight. It's the ones right. that are just going, okay, 25 minutes to go. Do yeah. I have to play this now? And you're like, well, you should. You should, yeah. <laughs> you unfortunately, unfortunately, when, you, when you're teaching in a studio professionally for a long time, a lot of the students you get are just there sort of, they're not, you know, they're just, they're just there to have fun, you know, mm. and that's mm. great. And I really enjoyed it at the time, but now I want to, I want to focus on helping people yeah. with specific things and things that I, you know, what I can do can help them rather than you can go see anybody to learn how to play a G chord. Yeah. Especially with younger kids, isn't it? That's kind of the, the case I, I find, I find I have the similar, similar experience with that. Um, Nice. I just want to kind of bring back the conversation to to your music because I think there's a lot of great stuff that people should be checking out. Um, so we we kind of kind of lost track. We were talking about life gets in the way, which is yeah. like was your first was that your first first release? Let's say as a solo artist, like yes. under under yes. your name, yeah. and then the next one I've got down is the Hunger EP. Yeah, right, and that's. But you in the title you got trio, and that's something that I wanted to ask you about. Yeah, is most of your your records in a trio form, or so it was kind of like always the Ben Ben Eaton trio. Nice. I I don't use a lot of reverb. I like to be bare and open, so I like to be able to walk up, plug something in, and go. Nice. So for me, the idea of a trio is important because it places the onus on the song mm. places the onus on you as a performer so um for me the the, the more stripped back and and like truthful it is again comes mm. back to that again it's like the idea of this is what i'm presenting and here is the the absolute barest format i can present that to you in and i nice. think most of the albums i've done there's there's not a lot in the way of overdubs there's not a lot in the way of most of the vocal stuff Mm. There's not a huge amount in the way of orchestration as in like, you know, uh, keyboard, keyboard pads or right. stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty raw mm. and the trio format. If you're on stage vibing with three guy with three people, um, there's no better feeling. Mm. And also it's the music I grew up listening to. So I was a massive cream fan, like absolutely cream was like, Oh my God, who are these guys? You know? And even like Led Zeppelin. Yeah. Like those weren't big bands. They weren't bands that had a lot of instrumentation. So when you saw them, what you saw is what you got. And I'm, I'm always of the mind. Yeah. Just throwing up some comments while, well, that's true. Yeah. It, yeah. It, if you play guitar and sing, it's a trio. Um, so, I'm always of the mind that if you can't bring it, don't do it. Mm. You know, like that's just me. Um, I took a very different approach when it came to the instrumental stuff because there's much more orchestration on that, yeah. more um, intricate stuff. So that, but for me, the singer-songwriter stuff is very much like if I can't walk on stage either just completely by myself mm. with like a kick pedal and a looper and just put on a good show or with like the barest, absolutely barest, then I'm not doing it. I just, that's, that's how I, that, you know, it goes back to that, just presenting things. Yeah. Just, this is what it is. This is how it goes. Like for instance, if, if you look at the next album that I did, which is that's, the uh, animal inside. That, that's one I want. Let me, I'm just, let me just share that as you talk about this. Mm. Um, I just want people to see that album cover, which is fantastic. Yeah, that was a, re a really cool um, tattoo artist. 
Um, really? Nice. Yeah, he actually did that for me. Oh, I'm blanking on his name right now. Oh, I'm going to hate myself. If right you now. remember, we can add it in the um, description on, on YouTube. Yeah, a friend of mine actually, I was looking for people to do tattoo, uh, not, not cover art, and a friend said, have you seen this guy's art? Because what I wanted to do was that album was sort of written off the back. We had a um, a major flood occurrence in where we lived in Brisbane and we were right. trapped um, Oops. in our Oops. house for like four days. There's no way in, no way out where we lived. And my wife was like 36 weeks pregnant at the time. Mm -hmm. And so the sort of, the, it's not really themed, but the overarching theme of that is like, everyone's got an animal inside of us. Like we're, we're kind of just naked, naked apes and mm -hmm. like having grown up in the bush, like seen, like growing up with real violence and, you know, racism and alcoholism and stuff like that. Not, not from my family, but you know, yeah, the environment in the environment was always very rough, very aggressive. And Australia is still a, quite a, a, an alpha kind of um, culture. There's lots of, oh, okay. Lots of very, very masculine men, you know? Mm. And so when things went wrong, there's sort of like, to me, it was like looking around and like things were kind of really pretty bad for a while. We were hunkering down and like expecting the zombie apocalypse kind of thing. Really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But then the other side of it is like, that didn't really happen. Like mm. people were actually, you know, you could have gone that way with the, let the animal out, but people were actually very neighborly. And after a couple of days, you know, when the black Hawk chopper started airlifting people out and stuff like that, you know, like people sort of bonded together. Mm. So that album, but the point I was going to make is there's a song on that called mass appeal, which I think is like the second last song. Uh, here it's the last one. Is it the last Great. one? Yeah. So that song, the solo in that was basically, I think it was the first or second take. Mm -hmm. And it's basically my, one of my favorite pieces of work I've ever done. Cause it was just like, it's this real suspenseful thing, two chord vamp, and it's just go. And I'd practiced it before, but I didn't really have a plan for it. And so I they just press record and then played it. I think just did like a quick, quick chop and then like said, right, okay, go did it. And that's what's on the album. Nice. And like, so for me, that was very much like, ah, that's always what I've been searching for. You know, like that idea of like, here's everything I've been working on for like 25, 30 years there. All captured in one take. It's a distant, well, you know, obviously there's, there's no sweet picking. There's no real technique in it. Like mm. there's some fast passages, but it's not a choppy thing. It's a real like, uh, like that song is all about, it's called mass appeal. Cause you're just, you're, you're kind of getting used to failing. You're getting mm -hmm. used to the idea that you're losing, you're losing touch with like what everyone loves. You just sort of, you're, you're getting old and kind of getting a bit shit. And like that song is at the end of it just to sort of, and the way it finished is like, you're not supposed to end a song going to a different chord and just chopping out for like 64 bars. Like that's, you're yeah. not supposed to do that, but that's what felt right. So mm. that was like, literally that's an amp with a, with a, with a bit of, bit of overdrive on it and a bit of delay and just go. And like, you know, I think it's all in the studio, by the way, this yeah, is like that, that, those, Everyone but the first one I've done, but that's the thing. Like that was done in a day. That whole mm. album was done in a day. Oof. Actually, no, that album we, we did over two days. 
So eight hour eight hour sessions. Yeah. Drums, bass, vocals, every guitar part, all in two days for eight eight tracks. Nice. So yeah, we went in. We we rehearsed flat out for like two weeks beforehand, and then walked in and did it. And by the end, I couldn't speak, and my <laughs> fingers were red raw. Like you need a that, break after, yeah, you, yeah, you, yeah. You always need to take a a break after like big sessions. Yeah. Like, so, but I mean, that's the thing. Some of the takes, like for instance, there's one note in that last little bit just before the run where I fluffed the note. But then but I nobody, thought nobody will, nobody can tell though, I, I, unless you go like, oh, this is the note, you know. It just feels oh. that it's part of the composition. I can tell. I can hear it every time. Yeah. But I'm I like I quite like it now mm, because it's grown on you. It's of yeah. the moment, and that that the last run I did to go back down just happened to land perfectly on the right chord. It was what I was mm. hoping for, but it was just it was just it's meant eyes, to be. Eyes closed. Twenty five years of playing scales to get to that point, and it. You know, and then I said, I said to the guys, and this is where collaboration comes in. I said, man, I kind of messed up that note, like just before the last run. We should probably track it again. And they were like, no, no. And that's where you need to listen. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And the track before that is a track. I had a, I had a health scare and it's basically about saying goodbye to your wife. Cause I thought I was different. Yeah. I thought I was going to die. Like there was a weekend where I thought I was going to die. And Um, you know, that song was written off the back of that. And we did a vocal take and it was, once again, it was like the first vocal take. And I said, you know, oh, it's a bit rough here and there. And everyone just went, no, leave it. That mm. sounds really good. It's a bit, it's a bit rawer because I always work on trying to make things sound good, obviously. Cause yeah, you know, yeah. But the emotion in that and my friend at the time who did the the backing vocals, his wife, I just got like a, a, a double mastectomy from Ooh. breast cancer and her prognosis was not known. So there was a lot of tense, there was a lot yeah. of shit happening, you know, and at the same time we're trying to track this album. So that those, those sort of songs there are all like the animal inside is all about like aggression mm. and, and then war is on that album as well, which is all. I love that track. Honestly, like I think that I'm, I'm trying, I wrote down two songs that really, uh, I, Oh, War and I represent the people. Those two songs, I represent the people. I think is on what? Which record was that? The next one, right? Mountain Top. Yeah. 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 Uh, those two tracks, like for me, is amazing. And uh, I just want to double check with you. Are you okay for time? By the way, I've probably got about another twenty minutes. Okay. Um, I just I've got a few more. I wanted to reach our the one the latest record that you you did, but I interrupted you. Sorry. What were you going to say? Well, Mountaintop, the album, that was written as when I first landed here. That was a bunch of tunes where I was the first time I just walked in by myself to a studio again mm. with just a producer and an engineer, a good good mate of mine called Will Udall. Will Udall, okay. Um, and he um, he basically just tracked it for me like so I could concentrate on the songs. But I did all that um, in a day. And then another good mate of mine, Chris Pearson, on the double bass. And that nice. was it. So everything else, everything was tracked on the day. Chris came in. He did his part. I tracked all the, the vocals. Mm. And then um, I did a bunch of post-production stuff with, like, noises and scrapes and stuff. Oh, it's, very, it's very acoustic. That it's, it's There's no drums or anything on that. It's all mm. noises from the guitar. And I wanted to strip it back as far as I possibly could for that one and make really it, good. like, 
exactly what it would be like live. So, yeah, so I represent the people is um, I wrote that just before Trump. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, 2019. Mm. I wrote that song just before Trump. So that song had been around for a little while. And that's all about basically the, the, the grifters and the liars from the from people that are just telling you what you want to hear. And it's written from kind of the perspective of the devil. So it, the metaphorical mm. devil is like, I've won. I've got this. You guys are you guys are boned. You know, I, I, I'm gonna represent you while you tear yourself apart. So that mm. and it was my that song was um my attempt at uh, more of like a bluegrassy sort of two two step approach, right? So yeah, that's that's the story behind it's a that. Great song. tune, I, lo- I really like. It. Yeah, I, as I was listening to, like it really, it's one of those track. You know, when you listen to somebody's music and you can appreciate everything that they're doing, but then there's like those two or three or five, even five tracks sometimes where which like capture you like from the get go, and that's how I felt with um, I represent the people, and obviously what I've heard you play live as well, which I really like. Um, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of skip through some of the other stuff because I, I could talk to you about your music all day, every day. But um, just kind of like jumping it. So we you have Mountain Top, which came out in 2019. Yeah. And then what I called in the beginning of the stream your your COVID baby. Yeah. <laughs> is is the um is Poe right? Yeah. Uh, P O E. Um, yeah. and that's the one that we actually work together. And it's it, is it? You said it's your first instrumental record right but yeah. i've noticed that in in the hungry mp there is an instrumental track right so see i've done my research <laughs> well done well done i i i've tried uh, in everyone but the mountaintop i've thrown like an instrumental in just because mm-hmm. i really like instrumental music and i'm a guitarist first nice but poe is the first one I actually approached as an instrumental project mm. and you're right in the fact that i'd had well i've got hundreds hundreds of songs lying around um and I've got like folders which are like this era and then favorites. And then from those, there's the sub favorites and then finals and then real finals. And then so the five songs that were on that EP um, were basically when the, when the pandemic hit, I'd done the sessions for that mm. in April 2019. So we record, we went into the studio and recorded all the bass oh, yeah. and drums for that April 2019. Actually, no, 2018, 2018. So the bass and drums and the rough guide tracks were recorded in 2018. And then I went straight after that. Was it 2018? 20, it See, might have been twenty. Might have been 2019. I'm just going onto your website. Because uh, you have a video on YouTube where you've got kind of like uh, keys were tracked late 2019. So probably bass and drums were 18, 2018. Yeah, it might have been twenty. It might have been twenty nine. But basically, I I had we we I'd written all the tracks. We'd gone in and we'd recorded um, that, and then I went off. I, I went and did like a little solo tour in in Egypt mm. um, for my singer songwriter stuff. Oh yeah, I remember you talking about that. Yeah. yeah, and then I was sort of, and then Mountaintop sort of took over from all of that. So the the recording of Mountaintop was done before that, but then the launching of Mountaintop oh, and all the okay. stuff around it sort of got in the way of the mm-hmm. Poe stuff. And, you know, I had, you know, a really nice time with Mountaintop and I was playing tons of original shows and 
you know, having a really nice time. And so the instrumental stuff sort of got put on the sidelines, but it was like mm. in my mind, I'm going, come on, you've got to do this. You've got to do this. So I actually, I went and got some, as I said to you before, I went and got some coaching on how to like get past that in my mind. Cause for me, the guitar is so important mm. that I couldn't bear to finish the project. Really? Oh, wow. Well, that's couldn't, interesting. Couldn't bear it because I knew that it was not going to be as accessible as the other stuff that I'd done. So, mm. you know, the, uh, a lot of people say to me, you know, you know, a lot of a, a lot of people say, some people say to me, um, you know, like I really love that track, you know, like, oh, man, I really love that song, you know. And none of them are ever the acoustic, the the, the instrumental ones. So you know, I'm 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 also a working musician, so I know what people like. Mm. People don't like Eastern sounding shred guitar. That's just not what they like. So that whole thing we talked about before is preparing for failure. I had to get mm. in my mind that idea that this was not this was only for me. So when the pandemic hit. And I had been working on all those tracks like slowly. Mm. And I'd been not deliberately slow walking, but I think maybe subconsciously slow walking what was happening because I felt that it was too much of a change of direction and it was too much like, mm. you know, like I'm doing quite well with my original stuff and I'm working right. and I've got this in the fire and that in the fire and none of it's the instrumental stuff. That's kind of just for me, you know. And then when the pandemic came, it's like, oh, shit. And then what we talked about before is what's your what's your value? What's uh, your yeah. what's your integral worth? And I thought, you know what, like there's a few things I really want to do in this lockdown. One is do a podcast, mm. one is um create a uh, some some lesson content, and one is finish this fucking album. And so that's that's what the driver was. And it was really it was it was actually really, really hard for me to do that. Mm. It was really confronting. Yeah, you mentioned it. Yeah, to to actually to actually finish it, and then say to you like, "This is what I've got in mind," and then you saying, "Oh yeah, no, that sounds that sounds okay." And I was like, "Oh really? Oh, okay, cool. That's that's cool." And then when I played it to a few other people, and then people like, "Oh, I really like the sound of that." You know, that's that's yeah. really that's really full on, or that's really intense, or that's really, you know, musical or whatever. So How yeah, do you feel was, about it now. How, what's your like? Um, from that to after it being released, I'm really proud of it. Actually, I'm you super proud be, of yeah, it. It's a, re, a great record. Well, you know, like as I said to you, to you before, like I, I I'm a guitar player, so what what I like to do is play guitar, and what I like mm. to do is play guitar well. Mm. So, you know, I pride I pride myself on being a decent songwriter decent singer and a good guitarist so for mm. me to have that boiled down into like a batch of songs that i can show to people and say hey if you it, like a business card if you will if you like this kind of thing you might like what i do and right it's okay if you don't but i'm really proud of it and i you know yeah. and it's like, out there it's out there for people to to absorb if they want to yeah that's all i mean that's all you can do man like and i'm also the the, the thing about me is i suck it i suck it talking about myself in a way that uh, I'm a, I'm, I'm an Australian male from the outback first. So I don't like to say, man, I'm, I'm really good. You should listen to me. Like I always go like, well, I think it's good. 
I think it's good. Maybe you'll like it. You probably <laughs> you probably won't like it. Don't listen to it. You know, like nah, no, nah, no, it's not. And we I need to change that Ben. We need to change that because I I do that, and I you know that's something that I'm working on with myself. I say to people, people say to me, oh, you know, because I don't prom- I, I don't promote myself to my own detriment. Like people say, oh, you know, what else are you do? And I'm like, oh, playing some bands, and I got some original music out. You know, that's that should be front foot, but I don't do that because I'm you know a creature of the outback. <laughs> You should. Well, we'll do it for you because I think it's <laughs> it's something that you, you deserve. And it, you've put a lot, like just from working with you on this on this record, you've put you you can tell that you've put a lot of work and thought into it. Well, uh, the last the last track, Harmonic Movements, I think is the best thing I've ever done. My favorite, I'll tell you my, what my favorite track from that. Uh, it's the one with the fun name, which I can never... Look, I, I always misspelt it on the sessions, and it, towards the end, you had to tell me like, "Oh, by the way, it's not, it's not called this." It's, Which one was that one? I'll tell you now. Again, I I'm gonna butcher it, so I'm gonna make sure I read it off the uh, the record before the I. Country Kunk. That's the one. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think in the sessions I wrote it like Funk Tree Kunk. Yeah. And you, like you, you didn't say anything for the entire like period of me mixing it towards the end. You're like. Yeah, when you bounce this, could you name it? <laughs> Trick. I was like, oh, <laughs> that's what he meant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, it's probably that's probably my funnest song to play. Yeah, because it's it's kind of it's kind of simple, um, and it's straight ahead. It's kind of like bl- bluesy sort of rock, um, which is kind of. You know, kind of a wheelhouse. It's playful. I that's what I liked about it. Yeah, I think it's, it's very playful, and it's the way you play as well in it. I mean, that's kind of a silly sentence within itself. It's a playful way of playing, but you you're know, trying to have fun with that one because it's simple. So you're just trying to you're trying to make it engaging and right. and, and and have fun with that. And it's the 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 bend the bend in the second solo is just kind of it's working up very very slowly in microtones up to the 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 root note and it's kind of like that to me is like it's those really- little those little subtleties in like just the tip of the hat to like real cool like country players and shit that, mm. that makes me very happy i'm just going to throw a link in the chat for people to to your website where you, they can find all of your music uh, ben, I'm I'm just being a bit wary of time. I, I I don't want to take up too much of your time. I I, I really love to have you on again to <laughs> to talk more about. Like I've got so much other notes that I didn't wasn't able to get through. But um, I wanted. Do you have like five ten minutes left? Yeah. Can you put it? So I've got like an end of stream kind of Christmassy thing theme to to go through. Okay. The first question I have is in our in our household here. Every Christmas we play the Beach Boys Christmas album. Is there a record that your family, any traditions that you follow in in your household? We always watch Die Hard. Die, no way. Die Hard is a Christmas movie and I'll fight you if you say otherwise. Do you know what? I'm, I've got a game that I'm doing tomorrow with a, in the next interview because uh, it's DJ who is, well, I shouldn't yeah. probably be saying it on stream. Anyway, I'm playing it. And in the Christmas list of movies is Die Hard. Yep. I was like thinking, how is, I, do you, to be honest, I've not watched it, but I will watch it. Now that you mentioned it, I'm watching it this Christmas. Not cool, bro. Not I know. Cool. I know. I'm not, I'm not cool. <laughs> <laughs> and no, then, die, die, we watch Die Hard every year. 
Nice. Any any do you listen to any music? Any specific records? I find most Christmas albums annoying. I find most okay, Christmas music annoying. Um, so I'll return that Michael Bublé record I bought for you. Yeah, if you would. <laughs> I, I, my my youngest will um, last Christmas, the the George Michael one. Oh yeah, Wham! Yeah. My youngest were were in the car driving, and my youngest was like, "It's just the same thing over and over again. <laughs> it just keeps going around and around." And I said, oh, no. That's right, baby. That's commercial. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas. So we 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 do the full Christmas thing. We always have a big Christmas thing, but we're a little bit humbuggy when it comes to Christmas music. I've got to say. Okay, fair enough. I mean, that's that's good enough for me. I, I'm going to watch Die Hard, and then we can uh, if you if you will be. Happy to join with join the podcast again. We can talk, talk yeah, about. Man. I'm always happy to talk about uh, Don McLean. <laughs> there we go, <laughs> man. It's been s- such fun to talk. I could talk to you for hours about guitar, and th- I literally there's like stuff about gear I wanted to talk about. But I feel like if we get into that stuff, we'll be here all night and for the uh, duration. Yeah, yeah. So we'll 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 plan another podcast uh, episode at some point where we can maybe talk about a bit more of the gear side of things and nerd cool, out a bit about guitars, but. Thank you so much for doing this. I really Thanks appreciate for having it. Me, man, I really enjoyed it. It was super fun.